Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, 2D Man and Hour Man. Who are all these people, man? They're all part of the DC. Who's who? Booster Boy and Booster Gold, Lightning Lass and Hippolyta, Phantom Stranger, Hitchick and Arisia and Woozy Winks. Hey, hey, hey. What? What about that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him. He's also part of the DC Who's Who. Hello, and welcome to the fourth and final episode of Who's Who Update 88, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag. Along with me is my co-host, the esteemed Rob Kelly. How you doing, buddy? For this final iteration of Who's Who that we're doing, I am all tricked out. I have got my Who's Who t-shirt on. And what? I'm currently drinking a beverage from my Who's Who mug, so man, I am I am ready to go. What is a Who's Who t-shirt? It is the Who's Who t-shirt that I got made featuring the TRS-80 WizKids <laughs> Who's Who listing done by our pal Zoom Yukonori. I love it so much that I made it into its own t-shirt, and I wear it proudly, and you should see the looks I get when I wear it out. <laughs> All the ladies turning heads, right? You betcha. <laughs> I'm like, these bitches have got to back up off me. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because uh, I also am drinking out of my Who's... Actually, it's not a Who's Who mug. It's a Zoom's Who mug. And it is this wraparound gorgeous mug. Uh, for those of you who have been listening to the show for a while, you know our buddy Zoom Yukonori does his own custom logos. Uh, I mean, own custom Who's Who entries. Well, he had a Redbubble store. By the time you hear this, it's probably been shut down, so it's over now. But he put out a couple of mugs, a Lady Cop mug, which is awesome, which is his Who's Who entry for Lady Cop. On a, on a mug, and then the other one is his Zooms Who, which is his cover that he did featuring all of the characters, he's custom characters he's put together, and uh, including himself, and including me and Rob. I'm drinking out of a mug with my own picture on it. I mean, come on. <laughs> no, that's not weird at all. With my ego, there's nothing better than that. <laughs> that just tastes like success. Anyway, so they're absolutely phenomenal. A lot of Fire & Water Podcast Network supporters have also purchased mugs. I've been seeing pictures. Uh, Siskoid got his. Martin Gray got his mug. So I think it's fantastic. And uh, we're just excited to, to be – there's merchandise of sorts, kind of. <laughs> so I just think it's cool. We're decked out with Who's Who stuff. Awesome. All right. Well, folks, as we mentioned, this is the last episode of Who's Who Update 88 because it's the final issue of the comic. After this, we will cover the annuals across, uh, I think, two episodes is what we're thinking about doing. I thought so, yeah. So it'll be who the next iteration will be Who's Who. I don't know. Actually, there's no official name. What do we call it? Who's Who up uh, in 1989 annuals? Ephemera. Something or something? Whatever. <laughs> then after that, we will cover Who's Who in Star Trek. Rob's going to have a great time with that. I and am. then. After that will be Who's Who in the Legion, which I'll have a great time with. And you will. Because <laughs> I won't be there. I know, and I, I don't know that I'll be there for Star Trek. <laughs> and then I will start us on the path. I will take Rob by the hand and gently guide him towards the glory that is the Binder Edition. You will feel the love, Rob Kelly. You will feel the love. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, folks... Quick note, and we've been talking about this for the last couple of months, but based on some of the comments, some of you aren't paying attention to me. I don't know why you don't listen to me, so put your earbuds in and pay attention. If you've been subscribed to the Fire & Water Podcast Network feed, the same one since day one, the one that has all of our shows on it, you have another option. You can subscribe to just the Who's Who show if that's what you want. I'm not necessarily advocating you bypass the rest of the shows, but if, for example, there's a show you don't like, Choose this option instead. 
So you can just go out to iTunes and look for Who's Who, the definitive podcast, the DC Universe. We're out there. Or we've got a feed burner link you can use for any of your RSS catchers. And uh, you can just get this show if that's what you want. Also, while you're on the social medias, please use our hashtag, PoundFWPodcast. That's how we find a lot of your comments. Uh, at the end of the show, we're going to go through your listener feedback, and a lot of it comes from just those hashtags. We're able to find you guys and uh, argue and hear why Michael Bailey's mad at me again and things along those lines. Now, Rob, after we get done with this episode, we're going to post some of these images somewhere so people can see them. Is that correct? Uh, yes, as we always do. Why don't you tell them about it? It's your job. <laughs> you, you didn't ask that. It's highlighted in yellow and everything. You just said if we do it. I said, yes, we do. Okay, yes. It's over at our website, fineWaterPodcast.com. And next to the – we'll have two posts. One will be the post featuring this audio file. And then there will be a separate post, which we call the gallery post, which will feature pages from this very issue. And really, our goal is, as we describe these, our intention is to try and describe in such a way you don't have to have these pages in front of you. We want to make it user-friendly so that if you're out and about, you know, walking on your school campus and you don't, you know, holding a comic in your hand and your phone in the other while you're walking and you trip and you fall in a fountain and all the sorority girls laugh at you, we don't want that to happen to you again. So uh, we'll describe the pages as best as we can. Then if you get a chance, you can go out to the website and take a look at them and see if we did a good job. Now, each entry, as you look at it, it's going to have the main character in the foreground in full color. In the background, there's going to be a, a single color. It's called a serpent, kind of that's describing right. – what's that? I said that's right. <laughs> uh, that's going to depict the origin of the character or some aspect of the character. And usually it has a close-up of the character's face without their mask as well. And then you're going to get into personal data, height, weight, etc., uh, history, powers and weapons. Sometimes powers and weapons are listed. We'll talk about that in a bit though. So you can go out to the website, you can see the images, and you can leave comments on the post right above that, and uh, we'll all have a great time. Now, before we go any further, we probably need to thank our sponsor, InStock Trades. Folks, the, this episode of the Who's Who podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStock Trades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off, with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. What you got, Rob? I, this isn't related to who's who at all, but I don't care. I couldn't pass it up. Uh, <laughs> this week is the week that Spidey number one came out, and this is Spidey number one in a Marvel Treasury edition. Whoa. The first Marvel Treasury uh, published in over 35 years. Marvel has not done a this size comic in, in a lifetime. So I am super, super jazzed about it. It is a reprint. Spider-Man 1 to 2, Spidey 1 to 3. I can't keep all these Spider-Man book series straight. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, by Robbie Thompson, who I believe is a character in Spider-Man, and the artist is Nick Bradshaw. <laughs> it's 112 pages. The normal price is $15.99. Instock Trades price is $8.79. That is 45% off. I'm just so jazzed that, that Marvel is potentially doing treasuries again that I bought two copies. I'm not oh even sure gosh. what I'm going to do with the second copy, but I bought them. So pick it up for all you treasury fans, and you know who you are. Pick it up. Marvel Treasury Edition, Spidey number one. You know, I was in a comic shop just this week, and I saw some old Treasury editions. I, I flipped through them. Almost bought one, but it was Thor, so I changed my mind. Oh, that's, that's good. That was a good one. It's Thor. I could pass. So right. I picked something a little closer to home with this issue of Who's Who. I picked Justice League Dark, trade paperback, volume two. It's called Books of Magic. It's from the New 52 era. And this collects issues 0, 7 through 13, and annual number 1 of Justice League Dark. Now, if you, if you gave the comic a try and it wasn't your thing or you didn't give it a try, this is the perfect place to get in. Even though it's Volume 2, I realize what I'm saying. Volume 1's out there, written by Peter Milligan, but Volume 2 is where things really start cooking. Uh, Peter Milligan's there for a few issues, and then Jeff Lemire takes over, and that's when the book 
just became exceptional. Such a crazy cast. You know, it's got Dead Man and Constantine. Swamp Thing's on the team at different points. Zatanna's on the team. Oh, I think Enchantress. It's a great, great book. Art by uh, Mikhail Janin. I know I'm saying that wrong. Sorry. Cover art by Ryan Sook. Page count, 224 pages, full color, normally retails for $16.99. Right now you get it for 42% off, only $9.85. You will not regret it, folks. So Justice League Dark, Trade Paperback, Volume 2, Books of Magic. So for this and all your other collector editions needs, please visit InStockTrades.com. Now, before we wrap up and finish off Who's Who 88, I wanted to talk a little bit more about the Who's Who 89 annuals. We're gonna, As we said, we're going to cover those the next two episodes. And folks... Some of you have written to us over the last couple of years asking how we we're going to handle that and how you can prepare for that. Because I know a lot of people actually dig their copies of Who's Who out and read along with us or whatever. So what we're going to do is we're going to uh, post a list of all of the annuals and the characters involved on our website. They're going to go in the gallery post for this episode. So you go out to our website, which is you know fireandwaterpodcast.com. And then go to the Who's Who show. You'll see the Who's Who update, 88, episode 4, gallery post. You'll see the images. And towards the bottom, there will be a list of all the annuals from 1989 in case you want to prepare. I'm going to rattle off the names of them real quick. I'm not going to mention the characters because each annual has tons of characters in them. But Action Comics annual number 2, Batman annual number 13, Blackhawk, Blackhawk annual number 1, Detective Comics annual number 2, Doctor Fate annual number 1, Flash annual number 3, Green Arrow annual number 2, Justice League International annual number 3. It's very hard to say that without saying bwahaha. New Titans annual number 5, Question annual, annual number 2, Secret Origins annual number 3, Swamp Thing annual number 5, and Wonder Woman annual 2. So those will all be listed on the website and the characters, and Rob and I will find figure out some kind of order to break them up and how we'll cover them. I'm thinking, Rob, we're probably just going to find a middle point in those issues and just cover a certain amount of issues, but we'll see when we get there. We'll arm wrestle over it, and you'll lose. We'll, do a, we'll do a marathon. We'll do a six-hour show where we just do them all. No, 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 actually we won't. <laughs> That's not even remotely going to happen, so have fun with that dream or what I call a nightmare. So, All right, folks, Who's Who, Update 88, Volume 4. Cover dated November 1988. However, if you happen to pick up a fresh copy off the stands, you would have bought that on July 19th, 1988. Our thanks to Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics for that. And you better had $1.25 plus tax in your pocket or you weren't going home with it. So, Rob, you want to tell us about the cover, the final Ty Templeton cover? Uh, yeah, it's uh, all the characters represented in this issue are at a house party. <laughs> We're at a barbecue. It is. I have been a big fan of all these Ty Templeton covers. As we've talked before, I'm a fan of Ty's work in general. But even of the four, I, this is my favorite. Uh, it, the series goes out the way it should. Kind of a big gag because I've got a lot of the characters are supporting characters. The oft overlooked supporting characters are finally getting a bunch of listings. So it's everybody kind of having a big party. And you see Zatanna and Woten sitting on a shed, on the roof of a shed. You see... Um, Abby Cable rocking a little mini bikini. You see uh, Mon pa- I'm glad you mentioned it yes, instead of me. <laughs> she, looks, she looks stunning. Mon pa Kent cooking some burgers. There's Oberon. There's Harvey Bullock with food shooting out of his mouth. Uh, <laughs> there's the ventriloquist completely creeping out, Jan- Janet Clyburn. And then in the background, you see a bunch of the monster characters, Ultra Humanite, the Zuggernaut, and Wildebeest breaking into the party. I absolutely love it. I wish all the covers had sort of looked like this. I- I'm just such a huge fan. I think it's utterly delightful it is an absolute hoot and you're right it is a perfect way i I didn't put together the idea of it's a party to celebrate the end because i guess at this point 1988 we probably didn't know who's who was sort of kind of closing up shop 
but uh, it is a perfect way now in hindsight to realize they're going out on a party. Now, you, I, I'm going to correct you on something. You said all of the characters are there. They're not. In fact, there is a glaring omission from the cover that is, and you're going to argue the point with me because you're nonsensical, but quite possibly the highest profile character in the book currently in, in the real world, the most highest profile character in this issue is not on the cover. Any thought of who that might be? No. Who is, who's, who's missing? Felicity Smoke. Ed Raymond and Felicity Raymond. Firestorm's parents. I know you're thinking Firestorm's parents. Who cares? But his stepmother is Felicity Smoke from the Arrow TV show. Very, very popular character in pop culture right now. And Ed and, for some reason, Ed and Felicity are nowhere on the cover. They're the only ones not on the cover. It's very strange. Hmm. It, it actually makes me wonder if maybe their entry was a last-minute addition. Or, uh, I've no-prized it, by the way, because I know you were wondering. Uh, if you look on the far right-hand side of the cover, past the words, there is some splash marks. Like water splashing out of a pool or something. Mm-hmm. Like maybe they're having a pool. I think Ed and uh, Felicity have just jumped in the pool. And that's the water splashing out. So that's my no prize. Okay, fair enough. (laughs) Um, It's a lot of fun because, as you mentioned, all the characters are down there. I like how they sort of separated the super, super characters from the regular people, with the exception of Wildfire. I don't get why Wildfire is down there amongst all the people eating when all the other super characters are pretty much you know either up on a balcony or in a window or on a roof or something. Well, the weird is flying right above them. I guess that's true, but it just—I guess Wildfire to me sort of stood out as being like, "What is he doing there?" It's uh, maybe because he really is hungry all the time. I don't know. And he also the Weaver's there. He's hanging out in the background up against the shed. Yeah, but he looks normal at least. Well, that's true enough. I do love that the Kents are sort of the central image, which is really nice. I love Pa Kent with that hat on. Kiss the cook. So mm-hmm. funny. So cute. And then um, I don't. Zatanna on the roof with Wotan has always struck me as odd like in a funny way it almost looks like they're having a conversation like instead of fighting they're having a talk or you know when you have that party and the couple that used to date are talking to each other and they're just hashing out the old times and everyone's like oh god this again and they go off somewhere to talk privately it's sort of like that kind of moment they look annoyed at one another the, the body language suggests some some a bit of an annoyance yeah well she's got her arms cl- crossed yeah. and her legs closed he's got his fingers sort of intertwined yeah it like i said it's like it's like a an ex-couple hashing out old business at a party when they've had too much to drink so and you know they're gonna end up in a room together later but anyway fun cover i absolutely loved it and i do like maxwell War- lord is scared of terry long and his speedo i think that's appropriate <laughs> all right well let's go on to the inside um first thing that jumped out at me on the inside and in the credits is no copy editor what Seriously? <sighs> you know, there's a lot of talk in the comments about how DC was cutting corners on the who's who uh, towards the end here. For example, the, the logos, you know, trying to save money on Todd Klein and things like that. Not having a copy editor, it's going to come back and bite you. And I'm going to mention it throughout this episode a couple times, folks. <clears throat> so what did you think of the letter about Aquaman? Uh, it was funny. I, Bruce Roberts from uh, Millersville, Pennsylvania, takes uh, DC to task for not giving Aquaman a listing. And then... Uh, here, Mark Wade points out that they have a brand spanking new 37-page origin story that will definitely be appearing in <coughs> Secret Origins. Uh, <coughs> no, not exactly. <laughs> so thanks for that, Mark. Uh, and then he ends the letters page with a knock at the uh, yellow dots. 
You see, mentions uh, in, in actuality, the color spots are a design element, pure and simple, much like the ugly yellow and white border surrounding all the pages. Try and make the best of it, Mark Wade. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I didn't like that because, of course, we love the yellow dots. That actually made me very angry. I mean, it seems to me, and as I read this, and the stuff Mark Wade doesn't pay attention to as the editor, I think he hates his job at this point. And, and now, forgive me, because I love Mark Wade as a writer. I love him as an editor. I've met the man. I've shaken his hands. I complimented him and stuff like that years and years ago before he was even writing The Flash. Great guy. But I think at this point, I think he hated this book because there's a lot of things that fell through the cracks here. And it seems like, or maybe they just knew it was the last one and they just didn't care. They didn't, you know, better to put my effort into Secret Origins or something he was thinking. I don't know. <laughs> anyway. All right. Let's get into the issue. Ultra Humanite is our first entry, folks, a revised entry <clears throat> by, got to take my glasses off, I've gotten so old since we started doing these podcasts, Brad Venkata and Brett Breeding. Now, the previous entry was done by John Stat, I can't say his name, Statima? Statima? You know what I'm talking about? I forget. Okay. I well, forget who did the original listing. I do like this in, uh, entry. It's him in his gorilla form, his white gorilla form. He sort of fills the page, showing you how large he is. I think the, the characterization is nice. He's sort of got a dynamic pose. His face looks good. The background serpent has got him fighting Infinity Inc. and uh, the Teen Titans. And uh, Now, I wondered about Venkata, how he got the assignment. I looked it up. As far as I can tell, he has absolutely no connection to Ultra Human at all. In fact, he worked on mostly what looked like a Fem Force at that point for a whole different publisher. So I thought that was a little interesting. But, you know, it kind of recaps his whole origin. It talks about Dolores Winters. And I didn't realize Dolores Winters appeared as early as um, Action Comics number 20. I actually thought that was a misprint and did some research. Sure enough, I didn't realize that. Dolores Winters goes all the way back there. So that's a pretty early example of... Uh, Gender bending in, in comics. Yeah, I mean, you see how long uh, he, the Ultra Humanite lasted in that body? Because it's like original body, Action Comics 13, as Winters, Action Comics 20. Well, okay, that's only seven months later. And then in ape form, just to give him her 195, <laughs> which is a full, like, 40 years later. So he really, he really liked being a chick. <laughs> well, to be fair, he, he didn't have a lot of appearances between then. But that's, that's okay. But, uh, yeah, I, I always thought the ape appearance was in, like, All-Star Comics, you know, the, the 70s revival. I didn't realize it was in Justice League. <laughs> i got to go back and reread those. Oh, I love that three-parter. Oh, it's so good. Now, if there was anything I were to knock on this entry, because I do actually like this entry quite a bit, would be that the background only represents recent battles. It only features the Teen Titans and the Infinity Inc. It doesn't show anything of his old battles with the Justice Society, the All-Star Squadron, the Justice League, none of that. It's only recent stuff. Now, someone could come back and argue, well, this is an update. Fair, okay. But uh, I would have liked to see a little more history in the entry. So um, as far as what was on, to give you an idea, I've sort of, I'm trying to incorporate the on-the-shelf segment as we go. So if, if you were looking for Ultra Human, you would look in typically JSA-related books. He wasn't necessarily appearing in a comic at this time, but the comic you would probably check for the most that he'd be associated with would be Young All-Stars. And at this point, when this issue of Who's Who, number four, uh, was on the shelves, Young All-Stars number 18 was also on the shelves, which featured uh, still the Dizian inheritance that just seemed to go on forever. So, And if you want more on the Ultra Human, I would recommend you listen to the Tales of the JSA podcast. And also our buddy Kyle Benning has a series of podcasts called Crisis on Multiple Earths. Up next, one of my favorites, the Ventriloquist. Such a great character. Now, this uh, this comes out of the uh, you know the um, the Detective Comics run with Grant Wagner and Bray Fogel. And now, this is I didn't realize this. This is only his third appearance in comics. This is really really early in the Ventriloquist's time frame. He appeared in Detective Comics number five eighty three in February 
And this is just a few months later, so this is actually only his third appearance. Now, the front image is um, it's the, vent the ventriloquist standing there, very large, portly guy in a, in a suit. You, most of his suit is all blacked out, which is just some highlights. He's got this enormous, like, Bozo the Clown yellow bow tie with red polka dots. And he's holding a ventriloquist doll, which looks like a 1930s gangster, you know, stereotypical gangster, with a white face and a cigar and a hat. But he's got a giant scar down his face. Scar and then, face. His name is Scarface. Yes, he is. And what is he holding? Is that like a Casio tone piano? I can't tell what he's holding. Yeah, it looks like a little mini, like a toy piano. Yeah. I wonder if that's supposed to be like a book, like a ledger or something, maybe. What? What he's holding? Yeah. I, no, I don't think a, he's no, it's a, no, it's a toy piano. Oh, he really is holding a toy yeah, piano? Yeah, yeah. That was like a ventriloquist bit. Oh. It was like, he would, like a little mini guy would play a little mini piano. Oh, that's hysterical. Okay, Jeff Dunham. There we go. Right. Yes. I uh, <laughs> I didn't run into the ventriloquist until a few years later when I when I went in through my Batman phase starting in 89. So I, I'm not familiar with his earliest appearances. I've never read them. So the serpent is all red, and you can see the ventriloquist is holding Scarface and firing the machine gun for him in, into Batman's cape. And you see the bullet holes going through Batman. And then you see Scarface's head, which it appears like a, it's a really nice close-up of his face. It looks like it's just spinning. Uh, like maybe the head was coming off the, the dummy's body and spinning. And it, all of this is beautifully rendered by Norm Brayfogle. What, what do you think of the drawing? I love it. I absolutely love it. I've said before, Norm, Norm Brayfogle was a perfect Batman artist. Uh, the, the run he did with Alan Grant, to me, is like one of like the great Batman runs. And I love that they introduced kind of so many new villains into the Batman mythos. Because, again, mm -hmm. it's so easy to just, let's just do Joker. Let's just do Riddler. But they did Ratcatcher, and I forget some of the other ones. But, I mean, like, I love this. I love the look. I love that... Um, He's flat black, except for just some of the wrinkles on the sleeve. I like that look. I like the logo. I think it's such a neat character. And I know they'll never do this, but, man, I would love to see this guy in a live-action Batman movie. Oh, wow. Um, and, you know, like, the way they're doing – I mean, they've already announced that they're going to do a solo Batman movie with Ben Affleck. And I think he would be – great a great villain i mean he wouldn't be the only villain he'd probably have to be like the henchman of some other villain but man i think i, I find ventriloquist dummies to be inherently creepy sure and so i think doing this in live action would be so freaking paul giamatti as the ventriloquist there you go <laughs> i would love to see this i think this is really really cool i love it that would be very see i I have a hard time sort of buying it in live action, um, even though the dolls, you know, as you said, ventriloquist dolls are scary as hell. I would have a hard time, and I love them in animation. I mean, they really did some nice stuff with him in Batman the Animated Series, which I also think helped raise his profile, which helped keep him around as long as it did. So, um, great character. I wonder if he's appeared in the New 52. I haven't been keeping up with Batman, so I don't know. But awesome, and again, always great to see Norm Brayfogle. That Batman image down there is just really nice. And uh, if you're a Norm Brayfogle fan, uh, there's, a, there's a store called Hobby Lobby, Regardless of your feelings on the store itself, they uh, they sell some cool comic book stuff, and they have these large wooden sort of poster art you hang on your wall. And there's a there's a pretty big one, and it's a Detective Comics by Norm Brayfogle cover. It's like Batman standing in the rain. It looks great. So every time I just sit there and stare at it, I'm like, maybe I should buy that. I have no wall space left. Maybe I should get that anyway. All right. Up next. Uh, oh well, I should say by the way, um, if you were looking for more. Detective Comics characters at this point on the shelves at the same point as this comic was Detective Comics number 591. Again, Grant, Wagner, and Brayfogle, and in that issue they were fighting an aborigine. So, hmm, I, I need to go back and read those early ones. Then, uh, if you're looking for more Batman chocolatey goodness, I would recommend, there's a whole plethora of Batman-related podcasts over at thebatmanuniverse.net. 
then the entry that no one demanded, the Wanderers. <laughs> this is a revised entry. If you remember, the Wanderers appeared uh, in one of the previous Who's Who entries, and they had an absolutely terrible entry. Uh, you and I spent a lot of time ridiculing the art, and they just looked so dull there. Now, admittedly, this revised version, the characters have all been literally revised in the comic book. They all look completely different, and it does look a lot more exciting. The I like art- the artwork. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, the art's by Dave Hooper and uh, Robert Campanella. And Hoover? Uh, Hoover? What's that? Hoover, not Hooper, right? Hoover? Uh, uh, Hoover. Did I say Hooper? I'm yeah, sorry. Dave Ho- yeah. Hoover. And he actually drew the Wanderer series, so he's the right choice. And Wanderers was on the shelf at this point. In fact, issue number five was the one on the shelf of this month. It only The series only went to 13 issues. And um, again, I do like the art, and we'll talk about that in just a second, but it doesn't excuse this crazy-ass comic book. Oh my gosh. And Kichi Baker's the one who pointed this out to me, how nuts this book got. At one point, there's an issue, and you can find panels of it, just Google Wanderers and Sex. Oh, and, this um, is that book. Yeah. Okay, right. There's like this bird creature that's about to go extinct, and to prevent the extinction, one of the characters, and this happens all in the comic book, one of the characters shape changes into a similar shaped bird of the opposite gender, has sex with the bird to either, I don't remember if it got pregnant or impregnated it, either way, to carry on the species. This all happened in the comic. This was not just like something they alluded to, where, you know, the camera pans away and the curtains blow. Oh, no. Um, this, this all happened. <laughs> Kichi Baker pointed it out to me online, and I just, it's something you can never unsee. So, oh, crazy, nutsy stuff. Now, this entry is also the entry where not having a copy editor bites you in the ass. Did you catch the spelling mistakes in this thing? Uh, I, I read it. I actually did read this listing, but I was it was like, I, fell asleep I, I, I read it like a month ago, so I don't remember. <laughs> any of it. They, they misspelled the word peace. They spelled it without the E on the end. And then they tried to say the word now, but they said the word not instead. I mean, simple stuff that a copy editor would have caught. If I'm catching it, then you know, it's gotta be blatantly bad. So, all right. So what do you think about the art? I, I like it. I actually think it's very pretty. I, I, these designs are a little wonky i mean that guy with those giant i don't know whatever that thing is on his shoulders like shoulder pads the shoulder but he can't get through doors like (laughs) these i okay these characters look like a toy line that like a a toy company would have come up with because they didn't have like the superpowers license you know what i mean like they have their well we'll just do our own heroes you know and like and these are like power lords or something so that's they kind of have that look to them um, but I mean, the artwork itself, like the drawing, the, f- the the figure drawing is nice, and the surf print is okay. I, I would argue that uh, Ty Templeton inserting one of the controllers in- onto the cover just because he's here in the surf print uh, is, is pushing it yeah. uh, a bit. Um, but you know, like I said, the characters to me don't just—they're just like ugh, whatever. But the artwork itself, I actually think is quite nice. And I think you know, it's it's one of those things when you look at a set of characters and you're like, I don't know who these people are. But then you think about in, in a different world, if these were the X-Men or something like that, and everyone knew who they were, you know, we'd be like, oh, this is great, because the, the art is very nicely rendered. I mean, the ladies are gorgeous, they're hot, the guys look awesome, they look buff and sexy, and one guy's got incredibly crazy ears and swords and things they're like no, that. They're no more ridiculous than the Omega Men, and well, the Omega Men got like 50 listings. So. They, you know, they, they look kind of like Dave Cockrum costume designs. They absolutely do. Okay, good. I'm glad I'm not alone in that. No, it's, right. at, yeah, absolutely. Now, the character, just so you know, these are 30th century characters, by the way. These are, like, the not-ready-for-the-Legion primetime players. Um, and someone at the Legion uh, super bloggers just got mad at me probably for saying that. But anyway, um, they consist of Celebrand, Quantum Queen, Elvo, or, yeah, El- Elvo, Immorto, 
Dartek. This is almost not even worth saying. Dartalag, Psych, and Orinthro. Yeah, okay. Winner names, too. And, again, the 30th century characters, they go around, they fight bad guys, and they have their own series, and I, I think I'm actually done talking about it. Um, but for more information, there's pretty much nowhere on the internet for you to look. So. <laughs> there's no Wanderers podcast? I can't believe it. Well, I mean, you know, I think uh, CW is going to launch a show. Um, <laughs> did you hear who's going to be on Arrow next season? Wild Dog. Wild Dog. They That's are. Absolutely insane. Oh, my gosh. I think the Who's Who podcast is single-handedly responsible for raising the profile of that character to the point where they brought him back. I would have given credit to Chad with his uh, Action Comics Weekly podcast if he ever got it started. So, Ooh, let's, let's Come on. Let's, let's stay positive here. <laughs> All right. I, I love little Chad Bokelman, though, so I have to say that. All right. Coming up next is The Weaver, which with one of my favorite logos of the issue, it's this cool sort of roundy, weird-looking logo. And uh, that's Weaver ex- exclamation point, by the way. That's true. So that's probably from the cover of a comic. So uh, art by one of my favorite artists, Rick Hoberg. I love his work. Uh, the guy is um, he, he's basically just wearing sort of like a, a, a bikini bottom loincloth-y kind of thing. He looks very ancient-y because he is. He's from ancient Atlantis, you know, something like, what, 45,000 years ago. And he's, he's basically naked except for some pants and some leggings. And he's got this weird sort of chest emblem on. It's like almost like a, a mill, what do you call it, a mill wheel or a millstone? Almost like a little tiny millstone on his chest with lots of strang, strands coming off it and a little beanie with more strands coming off it. And what those are, those are magical threads is what they represent. And then the, the serpent features four different super heroic characters. Again, it's sort of like the Wanderers. It's like characters we don't recognize, characters we don't know, but they're beautifully rendered. And the costume design is kind of interesting enough to make you go, huh, those are kind of cool superheroes. Like maybe they're from an independent company you don't recognize or something. But where they actually come from is the Power Girl miniseries. Now, the Weaver, basically he existed 45,000 years ago during the Age of Atlantis. He fought uh, Arion, Lord of Atlantis, and had to do with these magical threads. It was a big deal. These magical threads are a big deal in the Arion's book. And they look great. They make an awesome visual in the comics, like how Arion would pluck certain magical threads to use certain powers. It was really neat. And he ends up coming to the future, and he decides to fight Power Girl because she is the descendant of Arion in the post-crisis. And uh, this entry makes a whole lot of points of saying over and over and over and over that he cannot attack Power Girl directly. I got it. I understand. They don't need to say it again. And so I guess these guys in the background are probably the bad guys he dispatched to fight Power Girl. Now, here's where the Serpent sort of becomes an issue. There's a character in the background on the top left. She's a beautiful woman, very sexy. And since she is rendered in single color, and you can't tell whether her the chest part of her costume is a color or not, it looks like an accidental nip slip, quite honestly. Doesn't it? Uh, now that you pointed it out, yeah, but it, it would not have occurred to me before that. So I'm assuming the middle section of her costume is another color rather than flesh color. Yes, I'm sure colored. that that costume... Well, I mean, you know what? That character could have gotten by in Warlord. Well, <laughs> I mean, it's not just, I mean, there's, there is slippage there, though. Um, anyway, she's beautifully rendered. That. And even the, the bad guy in the top right who looks awesome with the kind of cool shadow hawk kind of looking outfit, I think it looks neat. So what, what do you think of the art? 
Uh, I like the artwork quite a bit. I like the the central drawing. I mean, he's got he kind of looks like a Genghis Khan kind of thing. So I dig oh, that. Good. Yeah. Um, I, I've said before as much as I've tried to get into Arion because it, it's a creation by Paul Kupperberg, who I you know really really admire. I just I just can't make my way through this stuff. So uh, I t- you know I start reading things and when it starts saying roughly forty five forty five thousand years ago, I'm like I just can't. Oh my gosh. Get, I just can't get through it. So yeah, that's kind of what I did here. Um, um, but I, I, you know, I like the drawing, and they do mention the Phantom Stranger is one of my favorite characters. So, you know, it's like, okay, cool. The Weaver. Excuse me. The Weaver. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's okay. It's fine. I've never read the Power Girl miniseries. Uh, it's got, I have not the, either, yeah. It's got an incredible cover on the first issue by Carrie Gamble. I mean, just one of the best Power Girl images ever. So, folks, write in. Let us know if the Power Girl miniseries is worth reading, because I I think I've got a trade with it somewhere around here. <laughs> so, I have a, I'm, I'm a Power Girl fan, so... Um, I just want to mention Rick Hoberg. Absolutely love his stuff. He went on to work for the Ultraverse. So did Norm Brayfogle. And he did the Strangers comic. And uh, I, I've been reading it in recent years, uh, going through the Strangers comic. And Rick Hoberg just is sort of like a, um, I don't know, a Rick Buckler. You know, just a, a real solid superhero artist that really does an exceptional job with costume design and panel layout. Not somebody flashy that they're going to talk about like a Todd McFarlane, but just a real good journeyman, if you will, I guess. Is, maybe, is, that, is that the right term to use? Uh, yeah, I guess so. I mean, sometimes that's used as a pejorative, but I know what you mean. Oh, it's, but but then, uh, you know, but it doesn't necessarily have to be that. I, I think, yeah, no, I think that's a, a you know, he's like a Tom Grummet, like somebody who's just really consistent, not necessarily flashy, but is will deliver really consistent work and is has a good style for this type of of material. That is a good description. Although I put Tom Grummet way up in superstar level because of my personal love for him, but I will have his child someday. Um. If you're interested in Power Girl, at this point, there really wouldn't be any place to find Power Girl on the stands. However, just a little bit before this issue of Who's Who came out, she was appearing in Warlord. And so uh, just to, I'll just pick Warlord to talk about. Warlord was on issue 132 on the shelves at this point, and that was the next to the last issue. So Warlord was about to come to an end. Terribly sorry, Sutherlands. <laughs> Up next is a character whose name purely defines the character, The Weird with an awesome logo that's from the cover of the comic. This is one of those sort of cosmic, unknowable entities. Um, It's a very long sci-fi type of thing that I got very bored reading, but the gist of it is there's two alien races, and they're like codependents, and they hate each other, and and steal power from each other, and one of them ends up on our world and wants to help people. We'll just leave it at that. It's like like a little bit of Star Trek unknowable, you know, entities. Combine that with a little bit of like the Beyonder with from Secret Wars Two, but without the Jerry Curl. I mean, that's kind of that's kind of where I get the vibe for this book. I think it was written by Jim Starlin, if I remember right. Well, the art here is by Dan Green, who was the inker on the book, and it's actually a really interesting character design. He's got a black bodysuit with lots of red, red uh, like red superhero glove, and then the other one is like a red glove that goes up his sleeve he's got a red superhero kind of like captain america boot and the other one is this red wrap that goes all the way up his leg and then a red sash in the belt and then he's got a mask that covers all of his face except for his eyes and then his eyes are very creepy like one of them's sort of like weepy and the other one's really huge and creepy so he definitely looks weird it's very fitting and i do like his look i think it's very interesting and very unique um but it's uh oh the, in the serpent you get a close-up of his weird eyes and you get a close-up of some weird energy being, and probably another one of these unknowable energy beings. So, what you got, Rob? I, it's fine. Uh, the, the miniseries was drawn, was penciled by Bernie Wrightson, 
And mm-hmm. as you mentioned, it was inked by Dan Green. And, and it just occurs to me, did Bernie, I don't think Bernie Wrightson ever did anything for Who's Who. Hmm. Which is Some, uh, somebody at home correct us if we're wrong. I don't think so. Which was that's a darn shame because you know he was he didn't do the swamp thing. He didn't do the first swamp thing listing. Yeah. Well, he and he, been, I don't think he was doing anything for DC by this point, was he? Well, he was. He did the well. He did the weird. Oh, you just said that, didn't you? Yeah. So I mean, that, that, <laughs> I stopped listening to you back yes. in 2011. Yeah, I know. Um, that's what made me think of it. So I just think that's kind of strange. He was one of like the big. You know, DC's big name artist. It's just, it just occurred to me that I don't think he ever did anything. So it's fine. I, I'm not a, you know, I, I actually, until I paid attention, which was just recently, I didn't know that Bernie Wrightson didn't draw this because it looks just like what mm. the weird looked like. So yeah. Dan Green was obviously pretty, pretty uh, capable at aping Bernie Wrightson's style. He must have probably did maybe pretty heavy inking mm. uh, on the miniseries. Uh, maybe, you know, like a little more, just like, you know, a little more than just inking on that miniseries, considering how close he gets to the the look of it here. Yeah. Did you read the miniseries? I did at the time, because basically it's just the weird versus the Justice League. Right. Because they're in, and then I was like, oh, cool, the Justice League. So I do remember reading it. And it's strange, because I remember all the issues were like 48 pages Oh wow! as well. It was weird. Well, I keep saying the weird. Uh, Yeah, no, it was was an unusual miniseries. Well, it's on my list of things to read because it does feature the JLI, and we'll probably have to cover it at some point in a JLI, like a Meanwhile episode or something. But our JLI podcast, that is, the Justice League International Bwahaha podcast, also available on the Firewater podcast feed. Bing! But, um, I don't know, if you, if you give it your endorsement, then I, I guess I'm, I'm looking forward I, to it. I remember not being... I, I, I read it once in 1988, and I never read it again, but that's not a knock against it. I remember enjoying it, so it might, be, it might hold up. I don't know. All right. I'll take that. Up next is The Wildebeest by Eduardo Barreto with some of the sloppiest inks I think I've seen him do, which is sort of strange. But maybe that's just the character himself that's supposed to look that way. Now, the more I look at it, I guess maybe it's not as sloppy as I thought. It's just a fa- maybe there's just the printing process on, my, on the face is kind of weak. I don't know. Is your face kind of hard to, to make out? No. No. Oh. I, 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 yeah. I, it must be just my... Uh, it's the it's a long lost descendant of the flexographic process, maybe ruining my comic for me. Anyway, uh, the entry is about the wildebeest character from the new team from the new Titan series, and it sounds like the character hadn't been on the scene all that long at this point, probably about a year or two. And there, they, there's a lot of talks about different wildebeests in here, and what they're eventually building to, they're hinting at this wildebeest society, which is going to become a really big thing in the Titans universe. And we're still a few we, uh, few years away from the Titans Hunt, which really featured the wildebeest society quite a bit. But uh, it's all building. This is Marv Wolfman building this, and it's also during a period where Marv Wolfman himself says he sort of had writer's block. So I don't know that this period is uh, necessarily well remembered. But it's got the wildebeest character. If you've ever seen it, he's you know, an animalistic sort of thing. Got a minotaur sort of look with big metal horns. He's got an animalistic face, you know, furry body, but then with orange armor and gloves and spiked leggings and stuff. And then in this... You think he's borrowing his costume from that guy in The Wanderers. He may have borrowed the shoulder pads from him, at least. (laughs) Then in the serpent, you've got a couple of agents, uh, looks like, or guys with guns, per se. And then you see the wildebeest punching uh, Dick Grayson. I think uh, maybe he was offended by the disco collar. I'm not sure. But, um... Yeah, that's about all I got on this character. Yeah, what do you think of the art? I, lo- I really like it. I mean, I think Eduardo Brado's a terrific artist. So it's it's a weird design. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, no, I, the drawing itself I really like. I'm really confused, though. It says height unrevealed, weight unrevealed, eyes unrevealed, hair unrevealed. Well, we see his hair right here in the picture. No, it's, he's wearing, a, like, a suit. It's that, an exosuit. But that that's not his real hair, that stuff? I No, I think that's part of the costume. I think he was oh. all the way down the back. 
Oh, I see. All right. Well, then that makes sense. All right. I thought that. I'm like, wait, that's his hair right there. It's gray. What are you talking no. about? No. And um, it, actually, you can see it in the serpent on the bottom. It's like a, a fin that goes all the way down, and hair keeps coming gray. Oh, I see. All right. I thought maybe uh, yep. that was his actual hair. Okay, anyway. And I like it says, occupation, criminal mastermind. Not just criminal, <laughs> criminal mastermind. And that's interesting, because I never read I, – I didn't start reading Titans until issue 71 with the Titans hunt. And uh, so I've only ever seen the Wildebeest as, like – you know the bad guys decided they fought, and then the the stupid not I hate to be mean about it, but the childlike wildebeest that actually joins the team. So I seeing him as a criminal mastermind that'd be something new for me. So, but if you want more information on the wildebeest, you could check out the pop culture affidavit blog where um, Tom Painter Reese has spent a lot of time talking about the Titans, or you can check out the Teen Titans Wasteland podcast. I don't necessarily think they focus on the later Teen Titans stuff, but you know what? if you love Teen Titans, that's the place to go. And just to give you a frame of reference, at this point on the shelves, that was New Titans number 49. And so as it says here, Wildebeest premiered in 36. So there you go. That's like, that's about a year later, uh, a little more than a year later. And then that issue featured, issue 49 featured Red Star, Hammer, and Sickle. Woo! The Reds are coming. The Reds are coming. All right. Up next from the Legion of Superheroes, it's Wildfire wearing nobody's favorite costume. Um, I don't even, honestly, I don't even know why this entry's in here. As far as I'm concerned... Uh, reading through the entry, while he's a super cool character, nobody likes this look. And really, I think this entry's only here to define, to show his new look. I think this could have been relegated to the appendix, honestly. Um, it's, a, it's a Keith Giffen entry, so you know there's it's a big image with not a lot of words. And it's showing him in... He, he had this suit that's more form-fitting, and he has a face. And he's got like his little logo on his breast, and, and it's, it's just not something most people like. Most people, when they think of Wildfire, they think of that you know, glass domed face, which makes him sort of unknowable. But uh, I don't know what, as an artistic guy, you know what wildfire look, traditionally looks like. What do you think of this look? I'm sure this was this was done to make it easier for the artist to give him some level of expression, because now you can see his face as opposed to just that dome, as you mentioned. But I like the other one a lot better. I like the fact that he had the dome face, and that made it unusual. So this this look, I'm just like, eh, what, what is this? And yeah. it's just kind of yeah, whatever. Because he's basically an energy being that inhabits a, a, a costume. Right, you right, can see in right. the Serpent, you see his old costume, you see the energy coming out of it. In fact, that's a very sort of weak Serpent, really. There's not much to it. Keith, Keith really banged this one out. Well, you remember he did the uh, substitute heroes were sort of odd entries as well. Yeah, you yeah. Know? They're all very minimal, very, very yeah, minimal. Yeah, Now, the previous Wildfire entry was done by Dave Cockrum, so that's nothing to sneeze at. I do like the logo, though, with the Wildfire, with mm-hmm. it actually burnt mm-hmm. me on fire. So give your frame of reference. When this issue, who's who was on the, sh- on the stands, so was Legion of Superheroes number 52. Now, that's the Baxter series, and that is only 11 months away from the final issue of that volume of Legion of Superheroes. And then it would jump forward five years for the five years later. Also on the shelves this same month was Who's Who in the Legion number seven, one of Rob's favorite comics. <laughs> and if you'd like more information on the Legion, please check out the Legion of Superbloggers. Some of my good friends, some of my best buddies actually, are over there and they're just banging out awesome entries constantly. You should definitely check it out. Up next is a beautifully rendered Wotan entry, another revised entry. This one by Art T. Bear, or Art Thibbert, depending on how you want to pronounce it. I know one of those is wrong, one of those is right. And uh, it's beautiful. So he's in the foreground. He's got his long beard, which sometimes he has like a really full beard. Other times he has just a little goatee sort of thing. Anyway, he's got the full-on beard, you know, looking like he's rocking out of Megadeth. He's got the big green cape and red outfit and bodysuit, and he's really just holding his fists in angry, the angry fists of anger. And uh, in the background, the Serpent, you see him fighting the Spectre, you see him fighting Dr. Fate, and lots of intricate line work and sort of 
uh, framing around him, and uh, I in an awesome boss logo. I I love this entry. What do you think of the look? Yeah, it's nice. It's a really nice drawing. It's really full out. I mean, Art Bear, I'll call and say it's Bear. Uh, really, really went detailed uh, on it. Uh, it's really, yeah, it's quite nice. It's very funny to me, the listing, though. They c- clearly ran out of space for his powers and weapons. Because he <laughs> literally gets one sentence. Wotan is a master of sorcery and a brilliant scientist and inventor. That's it? All the, that's, all, that's all this guy gets? I mean, you know, they, have, they have to get into the whole plot where he steals Zatanna's body and infuses himself in it, which is like, I'd have fun with that. But... Uh, <laughs> He deserved a little more than that, I have to say, for his powers and weapons. But uh, art-wise, it's terrific. Well, I think part of it is they were trying to fit so much of his history in because he had actually been featured recently in both Secret Origins and the Spectre comic. Actually, two issues of Secret Origins. He was in both the the Doctor Fate one, and then he was in um, was it was it Zatanna's one he was in? I don't remember. Either way, he, he anyway he was in Secret Origins and Spectre. With detail that series. I'm sorry. What was that? If only there was a show that detailed that series. Is there a show? I, I hadn't heard anything about that. <laughs> anyway, great, great image. And I'm a big Dr. Fate fan, so I can't help but absolutely love, love, love this image. So, And uh, let's see. Then uh, if you want more information, uh, Rob mentioned something called Secret Origins Podcast. I don't know what that is. But there's also a Lords of Order podcast, which focuses on Dr. Fate by Ed Moore. Something we're checking out. Up next is Zatanna by uh, – this is our – I think our probably our last entry by Tom Artis. Absolutely super cute, super, super, super cute image of Zatanna. Now, this is sort of like the third in a series. In, in Who's Who Update 88, he did Felix Faust, Dr. Mist, and now Zatanna, all of which were featured in a Secret Origins issue together. So this sort of kind of completes the, 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 the triumvirate. And she is, I'm, I'm sorry, I just think she's absolutely adorable. I mean, yes, she's hot, but she's also just super cute the way he draws her. I love her little bat cape. You know, it's almost, it's almost like it belongs to, like, a Harvey comic vampire girl or something like that. <laughs> and then uh, – and, and her outfit is sort of reminiscent of a mag- magician – you know, stage magician performer without the, the fishnets. So it's, it's almost a little more tasteful, actually. She's wearing pants, you know? Yeah, uh, it's the most demure Zatanna outfit she's ever had, I think. Yeah. I, I actually really like this. I kind of wish this had hung around for a while. So what do you think? That's cute. Uh, I hate the logo. There's no logo. I mean, it's not even a logo. It's just right. a typeface. That really – Zatanna had a logo too. Like she mm. had an, a definable logo, which I think is even used in the previous listing. So I don't know why it isn't repeated here. Um, but, but the drawing-wise is nice. You mentioned that it's Tom Ortiz. It's also Joe Rubenstein. He's the anchor. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, absolutely correct. But uh, no, no, no. It's, yeah, it's, it's, really, it's really quite nice. There's kind of some dead space up in the top, which is weird. I don't know why the logo isn't up there. It seems kind of jammed in down at the bottom. That seems exactly um, where the logo was intended to go. Yeah, but that's a, that's a minor complaint. But yeah, I do like the little bat wings. It's a cute look. Yeah. Now, it, it does sort of suggest she's a vampire with, with that <laughs> cape, which, is, which may have been where, where the artist wanted it to go. I don't know. But um, now, I, I didn't know until recently how far back Zatanna's history went. I mean, and maybe you include me into it. I don't recall. But how she had popped up in a whole bunch of Justice League comics and stuff like that back in the 60s where she yeah. was searching for her father. And she had mm-hmm. a whole big, long arc on, involved before she ever joined the JLA. I didn't realize that. Yeah, well, it went through different DC titles. It was really like the like a, kind of like a trade paperback type story before there was such a thing because it went from Hawkman – to like uh, and and Ryan covers this on the on his show, but it went from like Hawkman to Adam to Green Lantern to Justice League. Like it hopped around, really pretty innovative for the time. 
Well, you can hear more about that on Ryan's show, Power Fishnets. And then, uh, again, there's this weird note for something called Secret Origins Podcast. I'm not familiar with that. So, All right, up next, and this is sort of the last entry, I guess you could say to some extent. This is the last entry for the feature characters, if you will. And it is, that's right, folks, they saved the best for last. Who's who's going out with Zuggernaut. Oh, God. It's just painful to say. I mean, And this is a Firestorm character, folks. Even in the realm of Firestorm fans, Zuggernaut is like a punchline to a joke. Um, it's just embarrassing. So let's let's do what we can to get through this. All right, art by Joe Brzezowski and Sam De La Rosa. And uh, from what I have learned, and you'll hear more about in the comments of our feedback of this episode, this pose of Zuggernaut, which is honestly one of the sadly one of the better rendered images of Zuggernaut, is probably lifted directly from somebody else's drawing. <laughs> Because Joe Brozowski apparently is a complete douche. Uh, and I'm I, sorry to speak ill of the dead, but as we get in again, and when we get to the feedback, you'll understand this a little bit more. Is he di- Joe Brozowski is no longer with us? Uh, that's my understanding is he passed away, yes. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah, he dropped out of the limelight, um, and then I believe he got sick and passed away. So. Oh, my goodness. Oh, wow. Okay. He, he kept a real low uh, profile in, for okay. a long time. So. He clearly saw the Alien films. Boy, well, he not only did he see the Alien films, the H.R. Geiger Alien films, he also was a fan of the anime uh, Giver. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but boy, like that, there's no denying the, the mixture between those two. Giver and Alien is clearly where this had to have come from. Um, was not my favorite character even back then in the 80s when he was going around. I mean, it's, it's basically this, this little blobby creature, tentacle creature comes to Earth, gets attached to a Russian uh, black market guy, and uh, and he becomes an alien monster on Earth, and he fights Firestorm a few times in Russia, and ultimately he gets defeated and goes away, thank goodness, because he looks ridiculous. I mean, he, I have to, you know, we'll, we'll eventually get to those Firestorm issues in the Fire and Water podcast, but I don't have a lot of fun memories of these. So, I don't know, I, I, I don't know if we have any more to say on this, do we? No, this, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I don't, like, I, I've. I'm going to take Mr. Bozowski to task in a later entry, so let's Yes, I think we both are. So, um, <laughs> so if you wanted to collect Firestorm at this point, on the shelves would have been Firestorm number 77, which is in the Blank Slate era in the Eden storyline, which had some really powerful, powerful themes where Firestorm goes to Africa and tries to solve the hunger problem in Africa, and it all goes horribly wrong. And it's a, it's a bit of a heartbreaking story. So, yep, that's it. That's right, folks. Who's who? 88. Uh, the feature character section goes out with Zuggernaut. So, there there so. needs to be a Firestorm X-Men team-up comic so you can have Zuggernaut meet Juggernaut. <laughs> Only you would want to read that. So. <laughs> I didn't right. say I wanted to read it. <laughs> All right, folks, now, the the comic's not over, though. We're only on page 10. Now we're going into the supporting characters. And these are, this is what we've been asking for, honestly, since the very first issue of Who's Who, of this podcast. We've been saying all these supporting characters should have been featured. And lo and behold, they got a whole, uh, you know, what is this, 12, no, wait, uh, 20 pages here at the end. And so we're going to go through these folks. I will tell you uh, a couple things I've noticed, sort of a, a big picture. That after reading many of these supporting character entries, I do feel like they were would have probably been better served as half pages than full pages for some of them. <laughs> <laughs> some of them are half pages, rightfully so. Other ones should have been half pages. Then I would also note that their first appearances are almost exclusively their pre-crisis appearances. Like before we were seeing entries where it would say, you know, pre-crisis or whatever entry and then modern or current continuity or whatever. None of that in this. Again, I think Mark Wade 
was done with this book. He was just trying to get it out the door, I think is what's going on here. Uh, you get Again, you'll get your personal data and history, but there is no section for powers and weapons, as there shouldn't be, because these are all you know supporting characters. And the one I, I was scratching my head for a while, I, I was going through, I'm like, how the hell did they skip Commissioner Gordon? What the hell? And then I had to go back, and I remembered, I completely forgot, I don't know how I forgot, but we covered Commissioner Gordon in Who's Who Update 87, that amazing one by David Mazzuchelli. Yep. So that, that explains why he's not there. So, all right, um, let's get started. First one is Abby Cable by K.S. Wilson. Now, I, I did have to look up why K.S. Wilson may have drawn a character from Swamp Thing. I couldn't come up with anything. Prior to this, he was really most known for drawing the Elementals comic, which maybe there is a bit of a joke there because Elementals and Swamp Thing, I don't know. But in reading Abby Cable's entry, uh, and, and maybe, maybe this, it says she appeared in Swamp Thing number two. Is that the first series? So, like, the Len Wein, uh, Bernie Wrightson Bernie Wrightson, yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow, okay. I didn't realize she went that far back. Mm-hmm. Which also explains why I didn't realize she was, like, of European. You know, she came from Europe. She lived in a small village in the Balkan Mountains. You know, I'm, I'm picturing Heidi or something here. You know, what the <laughs> hell? I had To me, she's always, like, the Louisiana girl. I always picture her with, like, the thickest sort of accent from uh, True Blood as possible or, you know, whatever. <laughs> but, she's constantly ordering po'boys. Right, exactly. So, but she, uh, you know, goes into the whole thing with her father and then her uncle, which obviously is, you know, um, the, the famous Arcane, you know, Anton Arcane that everyone knows from the Swamp Thing. And uh, in, at this point in life, she was, well, she was married to Matthew Cable for a long time and then he got possessed by Anton Arcane. Now she considers herself married to the Swamp Thing. And at this point, she was pregnant with their, with their child, which was going to be the next Earth Elemental. So, what do you think of this one? Uh, I think it's an okay listing. I wish they had maybe gotten. I guess uh, the ship had sailed for Bissett and Tottleben at this point because uh, they had had some run-ins with DC and uh, they weren't doing any work for the company anymore. But uh, I think Bissett actually wrote the issue of Swamp Thing that was in the, on on the shelves this month. Okay. Well then, well then, I don't know why they didn't do this then. Um, yeah. Or, or like I said, Bernie Wrightson or whatever. But it's fine. Uh, I think Abby Cable is one of the one of the really solid supporting characters. Like she, many times, is the vessel by which the stories are being told. Not so much Swamp Thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I always thought she was a terrific character. The storyline of her being convicted for having sex with Swamp Thing is led to one of one of my favorite Alan Moore runs uh, storylines in that book, and that's saying something. <laughs> she gets she gets carted off to Gotham City uh, for being like a pervert. Right, yeah, because they talk, about, it, they talk it, about it in here. Yeah, 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 and it's it's tremendous. It's really one of it's it's it's, it's a killer story. So uh, I've always liked Debbie Cable, and just as a as a extra piece of information, we have mentioned before a show that was Nickel, Nickelodeon had on mm-hmm. in the early '80s called Video Comics. Oh, yeah. They they read comics and they drag you know they moved a, a camera from panel to panel. I read them out loud. They actually read some of the Bernie Wrights and Lenween Swamp Thing comics oh, on wow, that that's on great. that show, which is insane because that that book was crazy <laughs> and completely inappropriate for like little kids to read. But I remember that, and I remember it had some of these stories, and they were like, "Well, it's really a monster creepy. comic, you know." And Swamp Thing was in yeah, the but theaters, it was pretty so. in, pretty intense stuff to be showing <laughs> on a Nickelodeon show. But man, it was great. So yeah, I've always liked Abby Cable. Okay. Now, uh, if you were looking for Swamp Thing on the shelves this month was issue 78. It was in the middle of Rich, Feature, Rich Feature's run, but he was off this month. And again, as I said, I, I think it was Bissett who wrote that issue. So, And it was all about uh, her being pregnant. So, And at the end of that issue, if I remember correctly, reading the summary of it, I think Swamp Thing himself made himself appear to be a pregnant woman uh, to go through the experience with her. So, <laughs> He's a nice guy. 
I tell you. Now, I, there, I know there were a lot of Swamp Thing blogs out there, even run by some pals of mine, but they, most of them appear to be gone. So if you know of a good Swamp Thing website or blog, um, please send it in. Let me know, because I'd love to, to spread the word on that. So, Up next is Alfred Pennyworth. Now, interesting thing about this entry. Well, first I'll describe the art. In the front is Bruce Wayne, um, supposedly, lifting some weights, and uh, he's, he's probably he's, he's shirtless, so you see his muscles and his... his Anyways, it looks really weird. And in the background is Alfred. He's carrying some sandwiches and what appears to be like a milkshake or maybe a protein shake coming over to see, to Bruce. And then in the serpent, you see Batman. Now, the odd thing about this one is the artist is not credited at all. Now, I know it's Tom Grinberg because uh, he did sign it and I recognize his artwork anywhere. But isn't that strange that he didn't get credited anywhere? I just think that's one of those, you know, proofreading things that we've you talked about in the beginning. Yeah. Well, the other Tom Grinberg entry in this issue also didn't get credited. Which I thought was exactly sort of like, hmm, maybe he turned it in late. Maybe they're pissed at him. I don't know. Very. They're, they're trying to convince you it's Neil Adams. <laughs> God, that ain't going to happen. Uh, I'm not too impressed with the artwork here. I, I'm not a huge fan of Grinberg. Like, I appreciate some things he did for Firestorm because he, he was on Firestorm for six months. But uh, I'm, not a, I'm not a huge fan. What do you think of the art here? Uh, every time I've ever seen something Tom Grinberg did, I always think inking overload. Yeah. He's just over inked, just like not everything. And Batman's, Batman's hands of how he's wrapped mm-hmm. around that bar makes no, like it hurts me to look at. Right. Because exactly. you can't, your hand can't be tilted like that far in. So um, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a little baffled, but I'm happy that Alfred get his own listing because he absolutely deserve it. I mean, he's probably like, would you, would you say, I would say he's one of like the three most famous supporting characters ever. Like Lane, I Lois think Lane, I, Jimmy I, Olsen probably. I'd say Lois Lane and Commissioner Gordon. Like I, I would say that the the average person could tell you who Alfred is without would agree with that. anyone who's never seen a Batman comic book. Yeah, he might Alfred be has been two. so important to the movies. With 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 the movies and the popularity yeah. of that, he yeah. might be number two behind Lois Lane now. Actually, yeah, yeah. Uh, but the, the sad part about this the art is really Bruce Wayne is the is the more noticeable image. Alfred isn't even rendered in a lot of specific detail. He's he's more backgroundy. Um, but it is nice to see him there, and um, it looks like he used some, not Zipatone, but some sort of whatever you guys call it, the stuff when they use stock drawing stuff along the top, stock pattern. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I forget. I'm blanking on what you call that. But, yeah, it's like a little, just a little, like, preset pattern up there. At the yeah. Top. Just seemed kind of like somebody was desperately trying to fill space, I think. So <laughs> Anyway, the, the weird thing about this one, technically it should be sort of a revised entry. Now, Alfred hasn't had an entry before, but The Outsider did which was a supervillain incarnation, if you will, of Alfred. And they go into the whole thing about the outsider in here. I'm actually quite shocked that the whole outsider idea wasn't flushed in the crisis. I was about to say that. I'm like, of all the things to retain post-crisis, that's what you keep. I wonder if they just dug out the old entry and just left it and no one came back from the Batman office to go, wait a friggin' minute. What is this nonsense? So they left it in there. If you don't know, look it up. Uh, Alfred was a bad guy called The Outsider. Or read Forever Evil and you'll get a, a hint He then it. ran into Zebra Batman. Wait, 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 wait. Uh, <laughs> so at this point, uh, if you were collecting Batman on the shelves at the same time as this Who's Who issue, you could have picked up Batman number 425, which was a Jim Starlin, M.D. Bright issue. Or to give you a little more of a what I consider a little more snapshot of the time, the Batman The Cult number three was on the shelves at this point. So again, check out the BatmanUniverse.net for lots of Batman podcasty goodness. Up next is Amanda Waller by Luke McDonald. Um, I love this entry. It's a, I mean, he, he draws her to look like a harsh woman, 
I mean, he does not make her pretty. And uh, but she it is a great rendering of her. She looks powerful. She's you know chewing out in the serpent. She's chewing out <laughs> Captain Boomerang, which makes me happy. Then you see the prison, and you see a close up of her face, and you know, with a lot of shadow going on. I kind of like it. I think it's a good looking drawing. Uh, we're gonna build that waller, and we're gonna make the Suicide Squad pay for it. Uh, no, this is a. Jeez, it's been a waiting gr- to use that. I have. It's. I'm waiting for you to stop talking. No, I think it's a great drawing, and we've talked before that we are not like the hugest fan, or at least I'm not the hugest fan of Luke McDonald when someone else inks him, and we've been taken to task by Michelle Fief uh, yep. for that. Right, so. Well, I I don't know. Rightfully so, we don't like well, it. He, well, he <laughs> but, came back to point out that when he inks himself, he's amazing. Well, that's what, that's that's what I was getting to. Is that yeah, the listings that he does by himself, the Duchess one that we saw are mm-hmm. great, and I really yep. love the drawing. I love the the ink lines on this are so thick, they look like color forms. This thing, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's, you're it's right. really beautiful. I mean. It's 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 I really like it. It's super stylized, but mm-hmm. I really dig it. So Luke McDonald's one of those guys where I say, okay, I like him when he inks himself. When someone else inks him, not so much. But the listings he did by himself, I think, are great. I really like how I think it's really really cool stuff. And uh, and maybe it's a matter of him just having enough time to do stuff. Like you know, his Justice League of America stuff wasn't my favorite, but as we've talked about Suicide Squad and the stuff we've seen where he inks himself looks gorgeous. So yep. Yep. All right, so the Amanda Waller entry. I had a problem here. I read this, and I was convinced this had to be a revised entry. Because as I'm reading this, I'm like, I know every bit of this. There's nothing here that I don't know. But she so didn't get a listing the first time. This is her first time. It, I yeah. was wrong. It is not a revised entry. But I'm wondering if most of this information was shared in one of those early Suicide Squad entries. Because, you know, we've seen Suicide Squad, what, three times now? Maybe four? I don't remember. And one of them, I recall, had a whole lot of information about her. I think it may have been the first one. Because that was before the Suicide Squad series actually started. So maybe that's where I read all this information about her. But either way, I, I, I was having serious deja vu reading this. But it's still a fascinating read. She's got an amazing history, guys. If you don't know her history, I mean, she, she was a mother of a bunch of kids. She was not the hard-ass, you know, political mover and shaker that we know. She was she was mother. She was trying to raise her kids. Her husband was killed. A lot of the kids died. You know, then she got some of them through college, and then she kind of got into local politics. And then from there, it all just built till she becomes the head of the this clandestine espionage organization. It's amazing. A, a really fascinating history. It's some you know you don't see this kind of character building very often in superheroes. Usually, it's one incident happens and it changes their life. You know, this was a whole building of a character. It was really fascinating. So, uh, at this point in history, um, in the same time this Who's Who comic was on the shelves, you could have got Suicide Squad number 18, which featured the return of the Jihad, and had a great cover with uh, Ravon versus Bronze Tiger. Also on the shelves was Deadshot number 1, that miniseries with this awesome cover treatment. And uh, you could also, if you want more information on her, you could check out the Task Force X podcast by our buddy Aaron Head Moss, or she uh, did appear in the Secret Origins podcast that Rob claims exists that I don't know anything about. And she's a movie star. That's so true. Good point. Oh, I didn't think about that. She's got her own poster as Does part of the marketing. I mean, all the oh. characters are getting their own poster, but they're even giving her Does one. Slip not getting one? Yes, he has one. <gasps> Seriously? Yeah, I looked at them yesterday at work. All the characters are getting their got their own poster. Oh, we got to get one and get Jerry Conway to sign it. Um, <laughs> all right, folks. Up next is the title character of the series who's not on the cover. Ed and Felicity Raymond. Again, this is your Felicity Smoke from Arrow. This is where she started, folks. She started off as Firestorm's stepmother. Art by Joe Brzezowski and Sam De La Rosa, supposedly. And uh, <laughs> we'll get to that again. So um, 
they do the or the 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 story here does talk about uh, how Ronnie Raymond's grandfather or Ed Raymond's father was actually uh, a, a World War One, no, World War Two. I'm sorry, hero called the Aviator or Captain X, and talk, goes into all of that, and, and then talks about how Ed Raymond was not Ed Raymond; he was Ed Rockwell. He was a reporter, and he had to go into the Witness Protection Program, change his name to Ed Raymond. His wife died, and goes on and on, and talks about all this kind of stuff. But then it gets into the fact that the Felicity, which is interesting, because Firestorm was battling a bad guy, and he created, uh, I think it was a giant magnet. And to stop the bad guy. And unfortunately, it was near a train. And the train happened to be full of a bunch of software. And, you know, in the 80s, if you get a magnet in your software, it erases all of it. And so he destroyed millions of dollars worth of software. Well, Felicity Smoke was the president of this software company, or at least the representative of that software company. So she was yelling at him and just tearing into him. So he got tired of it and changed her clothes to soap bubbles. And basically standing there nude. So, because, you know, that's how Ronnie Raymond operates. And I can't imagine who might have influenced me to turn out to be as irredeemable as I am. Anyway, uh, several issues later, he was battling another bad guy. And he did another magnetic thing. And it just it wrecked more of her software. So she sued him. There was actually a lawsuit uh, where her company was suing Firestorm. And so she was an antagonist in the book. Eventually, she starts dating Ed Raymond. And then she figures out that Ronnie Raymond, her soon-to-be stepson, is in fact Firestorm, so she drops the lawsuit. And then she became a huge supporter of Firestorm, and she was great. And uh, in fact, there's some there's some moments in the series Manhunter, which came out much later, the, the Kate Spencer Manhunter, where Firestorm's dead and she's on, and the Shadow Shadow Thief, is that right? Yeah, is on trial, and uh, she has testimony and like put me in tears. It's so great. So, what do you think of this? Okay, <laughs> I. I normally do not like to speak ill of other artists because, you know, I know how tough it is to do anything like this. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I think to this point, I have always said I don't like it versus it's a bad drawing because, you know, one thing is subjective, the other is objective. Mm-hmm. That said, this is a terrible drawing. Uh, really? This is, yes, this is an awful drawing. Uh, I, and there are so many things wrong with it, but okay, let, let's be specific. Okay, like, Felicity's doing the leg in the air thing, right? right. Which yes. is like from, from movies, you know, where the girl is so enraptured, she's so happy, she's so full of romance that she lifts her leg up in the air. Okay. I appreciate that Joe added that detail, but the leg is pointing straight out in the back as opposed to sort of being lifted up, which is kind of the traditional yeah. pose. Okay. So that's one. Two. Usually they're, usually they're kissing during that too. Well, okay. Well, I'm going to get to that. Oh. So, so, so two – it's outside of her coat, which means oh, yeah. she's swinging it out. So she, she's bending it outwards in an angle that you couldn't do. Three, uh, that leg up in the air was supposed to signify that she is, like, you know, delighted. She's happy. She's, she's so thrilled that she's in the clutch with Ed Raymond. But her face is stone-faced. She has absolutely no emotion on her face whatsoever. So that doesn't make any sense. And then the fourth thing is if you take your thumb and your forefinger – and you start at her knee and put your thumb by where her foot ends and then just turn it 90 degrees clockwise, you'll see that her left leg is much shorter than her right leg if you just twist it down. So poor Felicity Smoke is just constantly going in a circle. So, again, I appreciate that Joe was trying to add a little bit of character detail for what is a very boring listing. I get that, and and he he deserves – the credit for trying to do something a little different, but he failed horribly. And even as a kid, I was like, this, this drawing is awful. This is <laughs> terrible. Why was this done? So 
that's the meanest I'm going to be at any sutra drawing. I just can't. I can't look at anything else in this drawing and not look at that. It would keep my eyes off of that. I'm just like, oh, this is so bad. Well, sneaking a peek at the end of the show, we're going to find out that Joe Brzezowski was apparently extraordinarily well known in the industry for swiping other right. people's art. Right. And so it's actually quite possible that he was swiping somebody's art where there wasn't a jacket. And it, I can't help but wonder if maybe, you know, he swiped this from somebody, like a romance comic or something. I don't know. It, it, just, it looks completely unnatural. The pose looks completely and utterly unnatural. Well, where I'm going with it is in the Serpent, you see Ed and Felicity look talking, and then you see right. Firestorm. Right. That Firestorm is a swipe. Right. From it's the listing. Well, it's either a swipe or it's a, a, a reprint of the listing. I don't know which. I think it's a reprint of the listing. Well, the listing is a swipe. Right. The, the, I talked about it in a previous episode. That's when I realized something was kind of amiss, a that the, the listing itself was a swipe of Firestorm Annual Number 5. The last page of that featured this pose of Firestorm, this exact pose of Firestorm. And then Joe literally copied it for the Who's Who entry. And originally I thought maybe they just repurposed it. No, it is a new drawing of the exact same image. He swiped himself. There is a, a famous piece of advice that Wally Wood used to give, the great, the great Wally Wood used to give comic book artists or any artists, and it was never draw what you can copy, never copy what you can trace, never trace what you can cut out and paste down. Uh, I think Joe learned that lesson a little too well. Yeah, I would agree. And again, we'll talk more about that. But uh, anyway, if you want more on Ed and Felicity Raymond, you can check out the uh, – there's a website called firestormfan.com. Uh, there's also a podcast called Aquaman and Firestorm, the Fire and Water Podcast Network. At least one half of the hosting team of that show was really good. And then you could also, for more, for more on Felicity – I walked into that one. Uh, with more of Felicity Smoke, you can check out the Arrow TV show. So <laughs> You can right. hear her clopping along. <laughs> she walks around the room. With her half leg. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. You're horrible. You're going to hell. Um, up next is Etta Candy from the Wonder Woman universe, drawn by George Perez, which makes sense because, you know, this would be Perez's era of Wonder Woman. Now, um, the, the, the drawing is of her in her military uniform, you know, saluting. Then you've got the flag in the background and the serpent, her looking over her chair, I guess, with the computer behind her, and then the seal of the Air Force, and then her jogging with, I think, Steve Trevor. And, um... Edda, Edda is a very sweet girl. She was used to be famously known for being, and this is crude. I'm sorry, but I'm just stating it was Wonder Woman's overweight friend. Is what she. Used she to was be the known. yeah the big the big fat comic relief character. Yep. In fact, uh, they met, and this is what I thought was kind of surprising. Wonder Woman met her uh, when she was part of a college sorority. That was how we met her in the Golden Age. At a certain, I think it was, I can't remember the name of the college, but either way. And there's no mention of that whatsoever here. I kind of figured they'd at least give it a sort of like a, you know, a, a wink and a nod kind of mention, but nothing. But they may have been also because they only had a half page to get this out. So, I don't know. What do you think of this? That's nice. I mean, George Perez is doing Wonder Woman characters, which he clearly had a passion for. And when you consider how busy George Perez pretty much has been from, say, 1975 on, uh, the, the fact that he took the time to do this says, like, that says a lot about how much he likes the Wonder Woman characters. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because I'm sure they would have been happy. For, for a half-page listing, I am sure they would have been perfectly happy to get somebody of a lesser light to just bang this out. But the fact that Perez did it uh, is, is, is a testament to his love of the character. I mean, Sensation Comics number two 
that's how long this character's been around. Mm-hmm. She's been around one month less than Wonder Woman has. <laughs> uh, that's pretty amazing. And I, I like to think, I hope that uh, when they do the Wonder Woman movie, they get uh, Rebel Wilson from Pitch Perfect to play Etta Candy, but they probably oh. won't do that. They may have already cast her. I don't know. I haven't been paying attention to the Wonder Woman cast. <laughs> I, they had to have by now if they're doing Etta Candy. I mean, I yeah. think the movie's mostly shot. So. Well, yeah, I just meant they may have put her in the film. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Also, there's talk in here about how she actually, in the post-crisis universe, Etta Candy is actually romantically linked with Steve Trevor. Right. Right. Rather than right. Wonder Woman. So, if you want more on Wonder Woman, you should check out our buddy Diablo Frank has a podcast, Diana Prince Wonder Woman. So, it's worth checking out part of the World Spine Network. And also, if you were interested in Wonder Woman at this point on the shelves at the same time, would have been Wonder Woman number 22, which was wrapping up, I'm sure, an exciting storyline that continued the issue with Themyscirian politics. Whew. All right. Up next is the rest of our half page entry. It is Harvey Bullock, drawn by Steve Irwin, the Crocodile Hunter, and Al Vey. And uh, they talk on here on how he was a slovenly corrupt cop, which he truly was. And if you look at him, you even see he's got food on his lapel, and his drink is actually frothing over, dripping everywhere. And he's got his, you know, untucked shirt. He's overweight. He's got his polka dotted tie. I mean, he looks perfectly, sl- you know, with a scruffy beard and a cigar and messy hair. He, he looks at the definition of sloven. And uh, in the background is a really nice surprint of the Checkmate Knights. And uh, it still blows my mind that he went from being a, again, sort of dirty cop uh, to a sloppy dirty cop to being a leading government intelligence, aide, you know, uh, director. I, I don't understand that. But anyway, what do you think? Eh. Okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, the, it, it, it looks like it was drawn for uh, a regular page. Mm. You know, because of the the big white space on the left hand and the right side, and then they yeah. decided to, to give it a half page. So um, it's all right. I, I wish they had maybe gotten. I, I'm perfectly okay with Steve Irwin, but I, I wish they had gotten some maybe somebody else to do it. To, there was an issue of Detective Comics. I don't remember the number. I think it's 549, and it's a Harvey Bullock solo story where mm-hmm. Batman Batman comes in like right at the beginning and right at the end. And that's where you find out that he's, like, a big movie fan, and he's, like, he sort of visions himself as this sort of, like, old-timey detective guy. And I think it was – the cover was by Pat Broderick, which was, like, really good. I I'm, I'm, could be getting this wrong, but it was really, really good. Like, I would have just seen Pat Broderick, somebody with, like, some scratchier line work um, okay. do, the, do this listing. But so, you know, it's fine. Well, Steve Irwin was drawing Checkmate at the time. Right, so right, right. Sort of makes sense. So yep. if you wanted more, you could check out uh, on the shelves at this time would have been Checkmate number eight, which is where Amanda Waller orders Black Thorn killed. Also, uh, if you want more yourself, you could check out the Task Force X podcast again with our buddy uh, Aaron Headmoss. Up next, Jeanette Clyburn um, by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Praise, Praise name. his name. She is beautiful. Now and we see is... why Superman visits Star Lab so much. Well, yeah. So if if Rob says it, folks, you know that she's got to be hot. I'm so. going to say it. She's hot. Thank you. Gorgeous, beautifully rendered uh, redheaded lady. Uh, she's wearing a, a black top and a uh, fairly short skirt with with a uh, nylon hose. And uh, almost somebody like call fishnets. Ryan Daly. <laughs> it looks like fishnet. I don't think it's actually supposed to be fishnet. No, it's I think not, no. I think it's just the rendering of of the process. I think it's just supposed to be uh, stockings. But anyway, and she's got the lab coat over that, and her hair is sort of put up in a messy sort of ponytail, and she just looks like she's working. She she looks like a working woman, but looks sexy as hell at the same time doing it. And in the serpent, you see the awesome Star Labs building. You see her talking to Superman, apparently in the exact same clothes. And then you see her talking to the New Teen Titans with Starfire and Nightwing, and she's got a clipboard, so you know it's important. And she's got her finger in the air like she. She's scolding them, and uh, again wearing the exact same clothes. So now, do you know why Jeanette Clyburn has been in the news lately? 
no, I'm going to assume that they're probably working or in live action in one of these shows, I'm going to they assume. They actually already did, but we didn't know it. Okay. She was cast for Batman vs. Superman. Uh, she, uh, Jenna Malone, uh, an actress who's known for The Hunger Games, was cast for Batman vs. Superman, but her scene got cut and didn't Jenna make it Malone in. is playing Janet Clyburn? <laughs> I was waiting for some bells to go off. Yes. So she That's who she, Jenna Malone is playing? Really? Well, see, everyone, everyone thought maybe she was Barbara Gordon. You know, a lot of different, you know, bantered about who she could have been playing in the movie, and her scene got cut for right. in Batman vs. Superman, but it's been added back to the Blu-ray. And apparently someone has gotten a sneak peek at the credits on the Blu-ray, and it lists Jenna Malone playing Jeanette Clyburn. Huh. Isn't that crazy? I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah, so. there it is. It says it right there on IMDb, Jeanette Clyburn. That's amazing. Yep. So, uh, in some extent, she could be the, the headliner of this issue, really. <laughs> huh. So she first okay. appeared in DC Comics Presents number four, which is why we get Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name. name doing the artwork, and she is a leading scientist at Star Labs. Now, her boss went evil, and she sort of, like, got... <laughs> Haven't we all felt that way at times? <laughs> and she was able to, once he was out of the picture, she was able to move up in the ranks, and she's, you know, an important scientist in the DC Universe. Now, she never really found a home, but she would pop up in all kinds of books, you know, especially in the Teen Titans and Superman books, but she would show up quite a bit in the DC, uh, you know, pantheon of books. So, really <laughs> nice to see her here. I picture, like, Lois Lane's like, why do you always have to go to Star Labs? I just do, Lois, because I, I don't know what's going on. But Why do you have to go to that particular office? You know they Clark, have one in every major city. But, Superman, it's just the toy man. No, 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 I gotta. I have to have Janet Clyburn. <laughs> I'll be right back. Dr. Clyburn. Uh, Dr. Clyburn. Who's Dr. Clyburn? It's, it's, uh, you, you don't know him. Um. <laughs> Hello, All right, Jim. up next. What's that? Hello, Jim. <laughs> And if you want more of Jeanette Clyburn, and really, who doesn't at this point, you could check out the DC Comics Presents show with our buddy Russell Bragg, where obviously he would cover her first appearance and then the rest of her appearances in DC Comics Presents. Up next is Jim Corrigan, drawn by Chris Wozniak. I really like this entry. It's got Jim Corrigan in the foreground. He uh, he's blasting away. You know, he's in his in his cop civvies, so he's got his you know his trench coaty sort of thing and his ties akimbo, and he's sort of firing away, and he's obviously sort of looks to me like he's backpedaling as he's firing. Maybe he's running for it. I don't know. But his pants are flying up. He's got, you know, uh, what do they call those? High waters. You can see his socks and his ankle, which is pretty funny. And in the background, you see the specter screaming, which is sort of intense and scary. And you see a grave. And you see uh, Jim's current girlfriend at that point, who we'll talk about in a minute. And I just noticed that Jim's hat is flying off, but it's in the serpent by accident. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's funny. I just no yeah, I noticed that. So, um, now... Wozniak was drawing the Spectre series at this point, so he was a good choice for it. What do you what do you think of the art? Um, really? Uh, yeah, I'm kind of. I like the pose. Like the pose is cool. I like that's yeah. an action pose. The the mouths of both Jim and the Spectre look weird to me. Like, well, they're really probably strange. supposed to parallel each other. That's probably. I know they look odd, strange, but it's okay. It's all right. Okay. Yeah. Well, Spectre uh, has gone through a lot of changes over the years, and at this point, he had his own series again. In fact, it was on issue number 19. And uh, in here, they say that nothing is known about Jim Corrigan's past, um, but I could have sworn there was a Secret Origins issue that talked all about him and his romantic love interest or something, so I don't know why that his past is a mystery right now. But 
it talks about how him and you know the Spectre shared a body, and then there's a period of time where they are actually separated, where the Spectre and Jim Corgan operate independently, and then they're back to sharing a body again. And it talks about a supporting cast of Madame Xanadu and Kim Liang, which again we'll talk about Kim in just a moment. Um, I love the Spectre, but I did not read this series. I own several issues, but for some reason I never got around to reading it. <laughs> did you read this run? They had great Jim Clue to covers. Uh, I think I read like the first two or three, and then I I bailed on it. Yeah, it's, I, I I must have read a few of them. Otherwise, I, I would I've have read never them I've never been able to to really grok onto the Spectre as really? a solo character, mm-hmm. except for those stories in adventure comics where okay. he was those are much great. more yeah, with which are the ones by Apera, where he's much more earthbound. You know, yeah. like he's again, he turning people into wood and then running them through buzz sauce. But the ones where he's just like this, basically like second only to God in terms of a power set. I, I'm always, I can never follow him. Like, what, what, how do you write his? What can he do? You know what I mean? Like, what can he do? I always mm-hmm. found it a little baffling. So, well, if you're willing to give it a shot, the John Ostrander. Uh, Tom Mandrake Spectre series is ex- exceptional. It's so, so, so good. So definitely worth your time. And I think they've been reprinting it, right, Lee, if I remember correctly. So um, I don't know of any good podcasts or blogs on the Spectre. There was one for a while called Spectre Lives, but I think that's gone gone uh, fallow. So uh, if anyone knows anything about the Spectre, let us know. That'd be great. I'd love to hear more about him. Up next is Jimmy Olsen. Um, I've never heard of this guy before, but uh, apparently he was important in some book. And uh, this is a... Well, it, it doesn't say it's a revised entry, but technically it really should be because he had an Elastic Lad entry, if you remember correctly. Mm, that's true. Yeah. So I would, but that was under Elastic Lad, not under Jimmy Olsen. I mean, argument can be made either way. Artwork is by again somebody I've never heard of, um, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Praise his name. name. Okay, maybe I've heard of him. This so kid's it's a got great some interest. talent. I think he's going somewhere. This kid. This he could. Garcia he could. Lopez guy. Jimmy Olsen looks great. He's got this huge smiling grin. He's wearing the, you know, this, what you would expect. He's wearing the green checkerboard coat with the bow tie, and he's got a camera, and he's running. He's in an action pose. You can see his wristwatch showing on him on his wrist, and he's running towards you, or maybe running about to run past you on his way to, you know, get the photo of the year. And in the surprint, you see him with uh, his signal watch, which actually looks very 1980s digital, and he's got the pop collar, so you know he's in the 80s at this point. And then there's a great action shot of him taking a photo and Superman flying overhead because he's coming to Jimmy's signal watch. I love this image. This is great. Yeah, this drawing makes you understand why a Jimmy Olsen solo comic could have run for 200 issues. Like, this <laughs> no, it, looks – well, yeah, Turtle Boy. This looks great. This like I, To me, it's like if they had done a Jimmy Olsen comic – solo comic and this had been the cover i would have bought it i would have been like this looks like a great series this is like young adventure guy and superman occasionally appears it looks tremendous <laughs> it looks yeah. great and again i feel like whose idea it was to get jlgl pbhn to do it great idea because they don't have a, those characters don't have a super no pun intended connection in terms of jimmy and jimmy and, and jlgl but they got him to do it it looks Great. It's one of my favorite listings of the book, and it's Jimmy Olsen. That's saying something. Yeah. Well, JLGL is so deeply connected with Superman anyway. It's sort of, you know, right. it's an extension of that. I so guess so, yeah. Works well. So at this point, Jimmy Olsen's only 19 years old, and uh, apparently he's an electronics wizard, which is interesting. And he's dating Lucy Lane, as you would expect, and there's this big subplot about his father being alive or not. And, uh, I mean, there's, I don't know what else you would say about Jimmy Olsen. He's a photographer, daily planner. He once married a gorilla. <laughs> It doesn't say that in here, though. <laughs> that that was wiped by the crisis. <laughs> Thank goodness. I think I think that logo is the original one from the TV from yes, the comic, it is. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Good for him. 
So, anyway, uh, if you're looking for more Jimmy action on the shelves at this point, you could have picked up Superman number 23, which featured Jimmy and Lois in Ireland investigating the Silver Banshee. And he was also featured heavily in World of Metropolis number 4, also on the shelf this month. And if you're interested in more Jimmy action uh, podcasty, you can listen to From Crisis to Crisis with our friend Michael Bailey and Jeffrey Taylor. Or you could listen to Ky- Kylo Benning's uh, podcast, Superman slash Captain Marvel Power Hour. So, good stuff. All right, up next is Julia Capitellis. Is that how you would say that? I, I would assume so. Okay. Another uh, uh, Wonder Woman supporting character by George Perez. Really nice. She she basically served as Wonder Woman's uh, guide, her quote-unquote native guide here in Man's World. And Wonder Woman ended up living with her and her teenage daughter. And uh, it's a very nice sort of simple image, a lady sitting in her armchair reading a book and her daughter, teenage daughter at her feet reading a, a magazine and Sir Prince got some really lovely images of a like, you know, family home, bookshelf photos, stuff like that. It's great. I love it. Yeah, it's a nice. Again, it's like the Eddie Candy one. You know, it's it's almost like getting George Perez to do a drawing this simple is kind of like overkill almost, but it's just a nice, cute little drawing and considering how much Perez spent his whole life drawing super people bump, punching each other. He probably this was probably like a nice vacation just to draw <laughs> something simple and peaceful and just people just sitting around enjoying life as opposed to you know a universe blowing up. Well, you say simple, but I mean, look at the amount of detail he put into the little girl's leggings and the well, I don't mean I don't mean shelf. simple. I don't mean sim- yeah. I just mean like not an action pose or yeah. you know that yes. kind of thing. It's a people, uh, people doing life. something. Yeah, still, people doing something that you see in real life as opposed to somebody flying through the air and shooting their, you know, mental beams at another person. It's his Norman Rockwell moment, so. Yeah. It's a, it's a lovely image, and, and it is highly detailed, though. He really put a lot of effort into it, and you know what? Because George doesn't know how to do anything halfway, so. Yeah. Interesting interesting thing about the teenage daughter, um, the, what's her name? Vanessa. I had to look it up, because I knew somewhere in the back of my mind she came back to become an issue. I was thinking, did she become Wonder Girl? No, that's Cassie Sandmore. It turns out that Vanessa actually became a iteration of the Silver Swan, specifically because she didn't become Wonder Girl. Look at that. Then check out, again, Frank's Wonder Woman podcast for more. Then we get a, a – by the way, that was a half-page entry. Then the next half-page entry is Kim Liang and by Chris Wozniak, sort of a follow-up to the Jim Corrigan one. You've got her in the foreground um, in a very 80s kind of outfit. She's got, like, tight black pants and boots in a pink, crazy, like, isosymmetric sort of outfit, shirt, whatever. And uh, she sees in the serpent her – a nice little pretty picture of her with a Corrigan. Then you see the specter in, like, a sort of a scary sort of huge image. And the gist of her character was – she was summoned by Madame Xanadu. Hey, by the way, her job is to be basically uh, her boyfriend's secretary. And she was summoned by Madame Xanadu to become this secretary and become the keeper of Jim Corrigan. And then eventually became romantically linked with him. So, what do you think of it? Uh... <laughs> I like the serpent. <laughs> it's all right. All right. Well, I like the serpent. That's, I'll leave oh, it Oh, okay. That. All right. So, boy, you just don't like this Wozniak guy. What's your problem? I, I'm just not. I, there's just something about it that's just not working for me. Okay, well, let's talk about one I that... Can't, like, I've, I've been very positive this issue. I can't, I can't love everything. No, come on. Well, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this next one, because the next one is a full-page uh, image, no, not a half-page, for Lana Lang. We are looking at the lovely Smallville resident redhead in what I can only guess is maybe a workout outfit. I don't know. She's got short shorts on. She can and cut like, you like a knife. Well, yeah, short shorts and a flash dance shirt <laughs> with, uh, with t- sneakers and little pump socks and... Uh, it's sort of sexy, but sort of just like 
not? I don't know. What do you think of the art? It's a very sexualized image for okay, Lana right. Lang. I mean, she's got, again, she's got the short shorts on, and then the the blouse is hanging off her her shoulder. Okay, I, I'm like really shocked that Lana Lang was drawn this sexually. I really am. I mean, not that she's not an attractive woman, but it's just she was always sort of. I, I, you know, I'm not an expert at the Superman comics, but always to me, kind of written as the more "quote unquote" wholesome character. She's the small town girl. She's the she's the um, she's the Marianne to Lois's Ginger. Uh, okay. And and I'm just sort of surprised that she's drawn like this. It's it's a nice drawing, Eduardo Barreto, as you said. Oh, you forgot to mention that. Yeah, and she, there's a thing of her tearing over, tearing open um, Clark's shirt. <laughs> to reveal that he's Superman, which which could be taken a different way if you want. Uh, well, because he's not wearing the Superman S underneath either. Exactly. <laughs> it looks like she just wants to get some. Uh, I, it's nice. I think it's a really nice drawing. And then there's a nice shot of Superman flying her over the city, uh, over what looks appears to be a metropolis uh, in, in the serpent as well. I, I think it's nice. I, I think she looks hot. I mean, she's right. Yeah, it's an you know, interesting image, yeah. And I wish I could just stop at the picture. But unfortunately, as you read the entry, it's Manhunters, Manhunters, and more Manhunters. So, oh, oh, the Manhunter screwed up so many comic books. There's this whole thing, you know, her and Lois and Clark, I mean, her and Clark are friends, and then she's being controlled by the Manhunters, and she's spying on him, and then she's fixated, and then she's, like, homeless and spying on him, and they just, the Manhunter thing damaged this character to the point where she, in in Michael Bailey may argue, because he's Michael Bailey, but it seemed to me like it almost made her character unusable for about ten years. Uh, it took a long time until once she was married to Pete Ross and Pete Ross became uh, politically active that it seemed like she was really a usable character again, which is unfortunate. Um, if you're looking for Lana Lang action, and that could be taken the wrong way, um, Superman was appearing at this point in Action Comics, number six, weekly, Action Comics Weekly, 614 to 617. I don't think necessarily she was in those issues, but that would be a place to look for Superman. You can also, again, uh, look for uh, From Crisis to Crisis, Superman Podcast, and Superman and Captain Marvel Power Hour for more Superman stuff. Up next, another Superman entry. I love this one. It's Ma and Pa Kent by Dennis Janke and Jerry Ordway, and it's very much in the American Gothic painting. You know, they're standing there as farmers with a pitchfork. Uh, they look great. In the background, there's Superman flying over the Smallville home. And then uh, in the background, you also see in the Superman them finding Superman's ship. And you see Clark having a hometown, you know, home, a cup of coffee with his dad while his mom's making dinner, it looks like, or making uh, tea or something. What do, you th- what do you think of that? It's cute. It's cute. You know, I mean, there's not, I, you know, what do you can do, an action pose with them or anything? Right. So exactly. it's, it's a neat idea. It's the only, I mean, I could be wrong. It's the only who's who listing I can think of that is like deliberately aping another more famous drawing. Uh, I, uh, you well, know. anything by Brozowski. No. Well, I, <laughs> um, all right, let's not. Uh, no, I, it's clever. And it's, you know, Jerry Ordway. Anytime Jerry Ordway is involved in a drawing, you're pretty much going to be good. I am distracted that their signature is on Ma Kent's arm. So it looks like oh, she's got Oh, I didn't even a, notice it. it looks she's, like got she's got tats. A, she's got a tat. <laughs> <laughs> she's one of those old ladies that has tats. She's had right. tats years ago. So. Uh, but no, it's, it's, it's nice. It's cute. You know, it's a oh god. Now you got me thinking. You know, in, in like another thirty years, there's going to be a whole lot of like seventy year old women with tramp stamps. But um, oh. anyway, um, the thing it, it's interesting. I was reading this entry. I guess I didn't know as much about the Kents as I thought I did. Like I, I kind of had forgotten that Martha was married previously, and she had a husband that died. And uh, Jonathan fought in World War II, and you know that's when she she married, and Jonathan's her second husband. And I kind of forgot about all that stuff. Interesting though. Yeah, I did too. Yeah. 
Well, if you want more, uh, again, Superman action, you can check out Adventures of Superman, issue number 446 was on the shelves, featured Gangbuster returning, and at the time we didn't know it, but it was secretly Superman as Gangbuster. Shh, don't tell. Up next is Maxwell Lord by Gray Morrow, or Morrow. How would you say? Did you say Morrow? I was just Morrow, as far as yeah. I know. Um, really, really great drawing. It's, it almost looks like something out of like a, a style magazine, you know, art. It's got him in his green business suit and uh, his tie, and he just looks, you know, he looks very 80s corporate. And there's even like cool black box uh, rectangle accents behind him. And then the serpent, you see him spelunking with his boss. You see him finding the computer. And then a really, t- really, really tiny, but very, very, very detailed image of him uh, talking to the Justice League International. So, what do you think of that art? Uh, I, I I love Gray Morrow as as I've indicated. I'm baffled as to why he did this. I uh, I, I have no I, I researched for a while. There's no connection between Gray Morrow and this yeah, character. Yeah, no, no, not at all. I mean, he really didn't do superhero stuff for the most part. So, uh, I, yeah, I don't. Maybe because it is just a normal guy. Uh, he seems to be standing in front of a giant obelisk from. 2001: mm-hmm. A Space Odyssey. So I don't know what that what that's about. Uh, yeah, it's fine, and I am I am sort of charmed by that really tiny drawing of the Justice League, that postage stamp size JLA drawing. It's very funny to me. It's weird because there's a lot of detail in it. I mean, it's, it's yeah. Black Canary, Martian Manhunter, um, Mr. Miracle, and Blue Beetle, and and Maxwell Lord has got a very stylized sort of like shooting shirt on, like he's got the padded shoulder and everything, and it's very weird. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, it, you know when you go to like a um, a fabric store and they have the patterns like sewing patterns in those little um, envelopes and they have like a little drawing like a 60 style drawing of the of the dress on the front that's what this reminds me of like one of those okay. drawings from right. War. Okay. so anyway uh it does talk about in the uh in in the article it means he's so 1980s he's the perfect sort of upwardly mobile yuppie kind of character from the 80s and uh talks about how you know he became friendly with the chief executive of the company he planned to kill him I died before he got a chance to take him out, fell in the cave, and it talks about how the computer took control of him and, and guided him to form the Justice League International. And it's sort of astounding that they kept him around after all that. So, I, You know what? A, now that we're – I'm sorry. Now that we're talking, my theory as to why Gray Morrow did this is because they wanted it to give it like a, a men's G, a, a GQ or details kind of look. Mm-hmm. And so they went with an artist who was not typically superhero-y style. That's my theory. So okay. they wanted somebody done who's excelled at realistic-looking people, and that was Gray Morrow. So that, that's my theory. Or maybe he loved the Omen 3. It could be that, too. <laughs> um, so anyway, this, uh, that's, a, that's a long story if you don't know it, folks. Anyway, um, if you're looking for more Justice League at this point, on the shelves was Justice League International number 19, which is uh, one of those covers with uh, Lobo and Guy Gardner, but this is the one where Guy Gardner's personality has reasserted itself, and he's sort of like above Lobo, and Lobo's sort of cringing. And uh, you can also check out the Justice League International Blahaha podcast. And also, Maxwell Lord was featured in a recent episode of the Secret Origins podcast. Up next is Oberon in probably the most hideous drawing of the mag- of the issue. Uh, you can't really fault the guy, folks. He's a writer. Brian Augustine, and, or Augustine, drew the image of Oberon, and Al Gordon inked it. And uh, it's pretty hideous. <laughs> my, my 60-year-old stepson looked at it and goes, what is that? Is he a monster? I'm like, no. <laughs> It is Oberon, but it doesn't look anything like him. I don't know. You talk now. <laughs> it's it's a pretty ugly drawing. Uh, <laughs> I I would suggest not looking too closely at the faces of Fire and Ice, lest you go mad. 
uh, it's a, yeah, as you're right, it's it's DC. I mean, as we've seen it with Huzu, they did a bunch of things where a writer got a chance to do a listing, and there's nothing wrong with that. Mark Evanier did one, Mark Wolfman did one, Lynn Lean did one, but they brought in kind of ringer inkers, and not that Al Gordon isn't, but he just was not able to save this one. This is this is a pretty ugly listing. <laughs> Remember that Super Friends episode where like Superman and Wonder Woman and Batman went down to Middle Earth and they are transformed into hobbits? Yeah, it looks sort of like that happened to Fire and Ice here. I, uh, Oberon looks a lot like my old teacher Irwin Hazen because that's kind of how Irwin dressed. So. Okay. Well, his proportions don't even look like he's a dwarf, you know. So. No, it's yeah. At okay. least this, anyway. Um, yeah, the interesting things about Oberon, you know, he's he he was. Worked under Thaddeus Brown, who was the original Mr. Miracle. Thaddeus was sort of his surrogate father, and, uh, and, and the original Mr. Miracle had a son who was lost in Asia, so they went to go save him, and uh, Scott Free became Thaddeus' protege to become the new Mr. Miracle. And then uh, Oberon's job is he's basically his, Mr. Miracle, being Scott Free's manager. He manages Scott's gigs. He manages Scott's estates when Scott's off the planet, things like that, which has such got to be a weird job description. Oh, yeah, when my boss is off the planet, I manage his estate. Anyway, uh, it, in here, it does not specify that he's a member of the Justice League International, but as far as I'm concerned, he is a full member, just as much as all the rest of the characters. He's on the cover of number one with the rest there of There you go. That's right. So, again, check Standing out Justice Standing on a box. <laughs> he totally is. Check out Justice League International Blahaha Podcast and the Secret Origins Podcast for more. All right. Up next is a stunning, uh, wonderful Perry White image done by Eduardo Barreto. In the foreground, he is sitting at his desk reading the newspaper, as you would expect, smoking a cigarette. And then in the surprint, you've got him yelling at, I think it's Clark Kent, except Clark's not wearing glasses. Um, and you see the Daily Planet <laughs> He's yelling at Bruce Wayne for some reason. Right. <laughs> and you see some reporters in the background and the cigarette smoke's coming up. I think this is a great drawing. I absolutely love this one. Yeah, it's terrific. It's, it's it's absolutely. I'm a little like, why didn't they get JL JL to do it? Considering he did the other Superman characters, but maybe he was busy just being awesome. So uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it's a it's a it's a great drawing. And again, Perry White absolutely deserves a list. He's one of the you know supporting one of the longtime Superman supporting characters. I mean, look at his first appearance, Superman number seven. Right, that's how long exactly. he's been around. So yeah, well, it's, it's very he's nice in the time. 1950s TV series too. Everyone knows him. Yeah, Chief. everybody. Yeah, yeah, everybody knows that. So uh, in in the post crisis universe, he was actually growing up best friends with Lex Luthor. And, oh uh, really? Yeah, you didn't I know. I don't remember. No, I don't remember that. That I don't like that. But, but that's growing okay. up in Suicide Slump. They're they're best friends. And nice. then Luthor. No. Well, hold on. Luthor goes on to own the Daily Planet. And Perry White is, like, disgusted by his immorality, which, by the way, uh, you need a copy editor because you wrote uh, Luther's Immortality. But anyway, <laughs> I'm disgusted with Luther's Immortality, too. But anyway. This guy uh, just won't then, die. What's that? The guy just won't die. Right. Well, they did save his brain. But anyway. Um, <laughs> when did Vandal Savage buy the Daily Planet? Right. <laughs> so there's this whole thing. In this part, I don't like I don't mind them being best friends growing up and then becoming rivals, which actually kind of works as them being like two powerful people in Metropolis is kind of cool. This part I don't like. Um, he went, uh, Perry went to, I think it was like South Asia for a while, for like 18 months, and his wife Alice didn't know whether he died or not, and she was sort of led to believe he was dead, and she had an affair with Lex Luthor. Oh. And, but at that point she thought her husband was dead. So, or, or I guess maybe they weren't married yet. I'm sorry. I guess they were dating. Either way, she was with Luther while he was gone. He comes back. She's like, oh, my gosh. She immediately breaks it off with Luther. And then they have a kid, Perry White Jr., Jerry White. 
and uh, they have a sort of strange and, and he's a troubled kid, a lot of trouble with that kid. And then I want to say, and this might just be me imagining things, I want to say they eventually revealed that Lex was actually Jerry's dad. Um, I don't remember if that's true or not, but they had a lot of troubles with Jerry White uh, in those years. So, all right, moving on. Rudolph and Mary West, drawn by Greg LaRock and Brett Beating. Brett, Brett Breeding. Um, it's two old, two middle-aged people who's got beat with an ugly stick. Um, oh. Well, look at the. All right, I, they're not. Actually, oh, they're not. Uh, they're not ugly people, but Brett Breeding looks like he struggled with the faces a bit. Look at him. Really look at those faces. I don't know. I think they're, I, I thought they're okay. Okay. If you feel yeah. so. You're the artist. I'll trust you. So, These are Wally West's parents. And once again, they've been afflicted with the Manhunter, Manhunter, Manhunter nonsense. And uh, Rudolph, his, the father, is all tied up with the Manhunters. He actually sent his wife, Mary, on a cruise to die. A cruise ship. And her intention was she was not to come back with it. However, she survived. And now she lives with Wally West. And uh, I don't want to go into a lot more because it's just a lot of Manhunter nonsense which tries to be What do you think of the art then, sir? Uh, that's fine. They're, they're, you know, it's it's kind of just, it's okay. It's a little dull, you know, but there's not much you can do with these characters. Just, right. just, these two, I mean, that's good. The problem you're going to have a lot of these supporting characters that are not sort of, you know, like Perry White, you get to put him in the Daily Planet. Jimmy Olsen gets to be running around. I mean, these are just, they're just sort of standing there. So, you know, these it's fine. This should have been a half page. Yeah, probably. Uh, and you get Wally in the back. I think that's two images of Wally, actually, as Kid Flash and Flash, and then you get a Manhunter. So, uh, if you want more on Rudolph and Mary West, I suppose you could check out a couple of places. Uh, the Speedforce.org. Our friend Kelson runs that blog, and then there's also the Flash podcast, which focuses more on the TV series. But you know, never know. Rudolph and Mary West may be cast in the TV series because anytime we mention somebody, they show up in live action. All right. Up next is Steve Trevor. And no artist credit on this one, again, except that the fact that they wrote their name really clearly at the bottom, so you can tell. It's Ross Andrew and uh, Chris Wozniak. And this features Steve Trevor in the foreground as he's tucking his sunglasses in his suit jacket. (laughs) And in the background, you see his plane crashing and Wonder Woman flying up there to save him. And you see him drafting some new new planes and his girlfriend, Etta Candy, standing there with him in the surprint. What do you think of the art? I'm not a big fan of it. I can't. I it's. I I can sort of see some Ross Andrew in the poses, but not really. Um, it really feels like Chris Wozniak like really overtook it because to me I'm hard pressed to see Ross Andrew in here. So um, I, it's okay. Yeah, it's, I kind of felt the same. It. It's it's fine. It's it's like a nice standard who's who kind of drawing. Um, I wouldn't have any problem with it if I didn't see Ross Andrew's name attached to it. Once I saw Ross Andrew's name attached to it, it's like, huh? This should yeah. be better than this. Yeah. If, if I hadn't seen his name, I'd have been like, okay, yeah, this belongs in, like, Who's Who Volume 1 kind of thing. Um, the gist is there that Steve Trevor's – and this is obviously all changed from post-crisis. Steve Trevor's mother crash-landed on Paradise Island back in 1948, and then she helped the, the Amazons, and she died there, sadly. And then later on, a general wanted to bomb Paradise Island, and Steve was the pilot who was carrying the bomb. <laughs> And uh, he was the unknowing bomber, and Wonder Woman ended up saving his life. And they get involved, they, they battle Ares, and he gets involved with Eddie Candy and all that stuff. So, Wonder Woman's supporting character. So, the, I, I don't know that they really knew what to do with him uh, in the post crisis Wonder Woman era because he was Wonder Woman's love interest for, what, 50 years, you know, or so. And suddenly they weren't going to go that route because Wonder Woman didn't need a man. And so, I think they just had trouble trying to find a place for him to fit. So, all right, up next, Terry Long. 
And uh, I think I think we're going to take a moment here, Rob, and let a couple of our friends talk about Mr. Long. We, we've asked our friend Tom Panneries, who's a bit of a Titans expert and a bit of a Terry Long sort of psychopathic fanatic, uh, and our good friend Stella from the Backworld Oracle podcast. They're going to take a moment to talk about Terry Long, and we'll be right back, folks. It's Tom. And Stella. And we need to talk about Terry Long. More importantly, we need to talk about the sketchiness that is Terry Long in both this issue of Who's Who Update 88, as well as the Titans as a whole. I'm pretty sure you guys know why I would be interested in this topic, uh, being that I'm a longtime Titans fan. Well, I brought Stella along because Terry Long seems to be a, either a total Mary Sue or, or Gary Stew. And I think the phrase Gary Stew applies to a guy who looks like Terry Long. Or he is kind of a case for shipping because when you don't have fans shipping superheroes, you get Terry Wong. But I know you had problems with this entry. I mean, first of all, why is Donna Troy sitting on his lap? That's not Donna. But you told me that she was 11 when he started dating her. And clearly that's her. Actually, uh, besides that and the weird dating thing, why in the world should we care about this guy and why is he who's who? This is all supporting cast members. But even as you're flipping through, they all seem to have some sort of importance and bearing. Whereas this guy, his superpower is writer's block. (laughs) Which is Marv Wolfman. Marv went through this really bad period of writer's block, like around the time Terry was going through a bad period of writer's block. And it's always been this sort of running joke among Titans fans that Terry Long is Marv, and therefore he nabs the younger woman, which is really, really creepy. Which would have worked had they not been still called the Teen Titans. I like the idea of, like, you have a person who's a superhero and there's a, a career versus home life conflict in that regard. It's an interesting angle to take. I just don't think it ever really worked with Terry and Donna. But there is an age difference. You oh, there's a that. huge age difference. Yeah. I mean, what's their first hint of romance? Why it's, is she attracted to him? And this is the weird thing. His first appearance is in the New Teen Titans number eight. She's already dating him. So there's no, we never see the two of them meet. They're just dating. He's a divorced father. She's about 19 when he starts dating her. And they get married. She's about maybe 20. Which, in my mind, is young for marriage. So what do you think of him? I mean, I wouldn't necessarily be attracted to this guy. I just remember that issue we did Suicide Squad with the writer. Yeah. And the writer gets writer's block and then he's killed. Yeah. It sort of reminds me of that. But I just don't know why, like, we go into his so yeah. yeah, barely any detail, by the way. I mean, compared to, you know, yeah. on the opposite page is Steve Trevor, who clearly has an impact on Wonder Woman and has a purpose yeah. in the comics. I'm not really sure. I feel like it's wasted paper space with I, I think I think it is, too. Um, he's weirdly, weirdly staring at his daughter. Or Donna Troy. Yeah, or Donna Yet Troy. to be determined. <laughs> On the cover, that's him. No, eating a burger. In a, a very, Speedo? That looks like a Speedo. Yikes. A polka-dotted Speedo. So, ew. Just, he probably shops at the same place Shaq does. He probably does, yes. <laughs> John Byrne eventually drove him off a cliff. And as I said, it would be a lot more satisfying if the kids weren't in the car with him when, he, when they did Because it was basically this whole storyline with Dark Angel like ruining Donna's life because of her true origin, which made her origin way more complicated than it had to be. When Danny Chase probably deserves more of a who's who entry than Terry Long, that's saying something. And I hope we voiced our displeasure very nicely. Terry Long, when shipping goes wrong. <laughs> Thank you, Tom and Stella. We sincerely appreciate that. Yes, Terry is uh, 
oh, this character. He's so frustrating. First of all, the art here is by Tom Grinberg, who doesn't even get credited again, as we talked about earlier in the issue. No credit. Now, he signs it really huge, <laughs> so you can kind of see it. Maybe that's it. Maybe if someone signs their name really big on the art, they don't credit them. Maybe that's what, maybe that's what Mark Wade was doing. I don't know. But uh, I love that, you know, he's reading the Tales of the Teen Titans omnibus that apparently DC Comics published in the DC. See, I'm assuming, see, I, see, I always assumed that he was reading, he got copies of New Teen Titans Bound by that guy that Jose Rivera uses. Oh, it could very well have been. Could very well have been. You know, my stepson was uh, saw me flipping through this book, and he landed on this page. He's like, what the heck is that? And uh, it turns out it was the frog stuffed animal. But anyway. So, uh, as you know, as we know, he's a teacher of history and sociology. Now he works in a bookstore, How the Mighty Have Fallen. And the most perplexing thing, obviously, is him being married to Donna Troy. What the hell? How? Donna, really? This Mort? Anyway, um... I'm not a fan. What do you think of the drawing or Terry Long? Uh, I love the uh, well. I don't me love Terry Long. Long time, of course. I, I like the, uh, the the serpent of Wonder Girl kicking ass. Looks great. Yep. But this, I the, the the Terry Long and his daughter look grotesque with yeah. the, how over inked again. Grinberg is just like he just over inked stuff. <laughs> it's just like like Terry Long's mustache is solid black, while the rest of his hair is orange. That looks weird. Like he kind of looks kind of froggy. <laughs> Which is weird because the daughter's got a frog thing. It's just, it's just to me, it's just like, it's like, it looks very strange. It's very, very strange. And I don't know if you're anything like me, but I, I had a crush on Donna Troy growing up, and uh, her as Wonder Girl in the New, Time, New Teen Titans era with George Perez. I mean, she was just stunning. She was like the girl next door, and you know. And then to see her with this guy I was like, what? So, anyway, if you want to have some fun, again, uh, Tom, as thank you, Tom and Stella, for your comments. Check out Tom's Pop Culture Affidavit blog. Also, if you want to have a lot of fun, check out the Terry Long Tumblr, which is, I kid you not, terryissovery.tumblr.com. And they have just taken panels of Terry Long, and it is hilarious. It hasn't been updated in years, but who cares? It is still funny every time I look at it. So, All right, up next, Tom Kalmaku. Uh, also known as, according to this entry, he had a short-lived and unintentionally derogatory nickname. <laughs> short-lived, <laughs> 20 years. Right. That's DC apologizing big time, folks. A Again, short-lived and unintentionally derogatory nickname of Pie Face. Yes. So, uh, he recently appeared in Secret Origins, which is, I think, why he probably appeared here. Art by Joe Staten. And it's Tom standing there in his ridiculous short-sleeve yellow checkerboarded shirt with a tie and he's holding what appears to be a calculator and in the background he is drawing some designs and you see him flying with wings with with hal jordan what do you think of the art rob it's okay it's i, I we all know i love joe state and this is not one of the great ones but it's so simple you know it's just like it's just it's just a guy with his little pocket calculator and whatever so it's okay <laughs> it's fine I, I know i'm saying that a lot for these listings but you know a lot of they're just kind of just regular people just standing around well, he's been in comics for a long time. He really should have had a half page. I'm sorry, folks. Uh, now, uh, now I said he's doing some designs. Actually, he may be writing the biography because he was apparently the unofficial biographer of Green Lantern. I didn't realize that until I read this. And then it goes all into the millennium, uh, the millennium nonsense and how he actually was one of the picked new guardians. And he turned the job down because I think he knew how the series was going to turn out. But Anyway, uh, if you want more on him on the shelves at this point, he probably wasn't – well, he probably was appearing in New Guardians, which was on issue number two at this point. In fact, it says here um, – oh, no, it's later on. I'm sorry. 
<laughs> it's, you know the the issue when they say like you know where you can find the characters. The one for Tom Kalamaku says uh, whether he likes it or not, he seems to be a member of the New Guardians, which cracks me up. <laughs> Dang. Anyway. I try to get out and they keep pulling me back in. Anyway, uh, Green Lantern characters, let's put it that way, were appearing in Action Comics with Hal Jordan. And Action Comics 614 to 617 was on the shelves this month. Also, there was a Green Lantern special number one, which featured Jon Stewart in what it looks to be a, a pretty powerful story dealing with apartheid. And if you want more of Green Lantern action nowadays, you can check out the Lantern Cast podcast with our buddy Little Chad Buckleman. Tom Kalmaku was featured recently on the Secret Origins podcast. And also, again, the forthcoming Action Comics Weekly podcast. Last entry here, folks. This really will do it before the appendix. Wade Eiling, uh, General McAngry, as I like to call him, drawn by Pat Broderick, who was drawing uh, Pat Broderick and Bob Smith, who were drawing the Captain Adam comic at the time. Uh, I love this. It's you know him smoking a stogie in the foreground. It's everything you hate about the '80s military right there in one image. And in the background, you see the atomic explosions, and you see Captain Adam, you see Major Force, and then you see some insets of other supporting characters. What do you think of this one? Um, I don't know much about this character. I think I read like two issues of Captain Adam, and then I was like, all right, whatever. But the artwork's nice. I mean, it's you know Pat Broderick and Bob Smith, as you mentioned. It's nice. I mean, like the giant explosion in the background, and he looks suitably you know stiff-necked and serious and stuff. So, and it's good. You do know this character. We've been through this so many I times. No, I don't care though. Okay, fine. But he's really great later. He becomes the you know the general in the Shaggy Man body, and he was in the Just League uh, Unlimited comic, a cartoon, in an amazing, amazing episode. Anyway, um, it talks a lot about the Captain Adam origin here, which is really kind of interesting. Nathaniel Adam was you know being court-martialed, and he was given the option of doing this test. So he gets he gets an atomic bomb set off underneath him with his alien metal, which sends him to the future. But the interesting thing where it fits in now with Eiling is when Nathaniel Adam was apparently dead and blown up. General Eiling marries Nathaniel Adams' wife, Angela. He raises Nathaniel Adams' kids. Eventually, Angela, Angela dies shortly before Captain Adam returns to the 1980s. And they have to fabricate this entire Captain Adam origin. On they, they make up this whole thing of how he was a hero for years, secretly working for the government. And the nice thing is that's sort of their way of fitting, in a retcon way, fitting in the old Charlton adventures of Captain Adam, which is sort of clever. But, um... General Eiling has always been a prick, and every every iteration of him, he's always been a horrible human being. In fact, he's appearing right now in that Legends of Tomorrow comic you and I are reading with Firestorm, and uh, just a total jerk. And he's also responsible for Major Force, which you know we all know how Major Force turned out. So, if you wanted more of him at this point in history, you could have picked up on the shelves Captain Adam number twenty, which did feature Blue Beetle, and Captain Adam was lying to Blue Beetle about being friends with Dan Garrett in that issue. How awful is that? Those lies upon lies, they do nothing good for you people. You gotta learn. I'm trying to teach my teenager that. Anyway, if you want more of the Captain Adam chocolatey goodness, you can check out the Silver and Gold podcast with our buddies Jay Jones and Roy Cleary. Now, up next is the appendix. And the most fascinating thing I have to say about the appendix is it's got a great reproduction of the cover of Animal Man number one on it. I love it. <laughs> by Brian Mullins. Um, I'm just going to name a couple of characters. I'm not going to go through this whole thing. Most Thank of goodness. this is what an appendix should be. It's basically saying, you know, here's this character and here's what they've done since we saw them last in Who's Who. That's basically what it is. And that's fine. For me, I focused more on, like, the retcons. Um, you know, they talk about Killer Croc in here, or actually at this point he's just called Croc. They say he, you know, with the changes to continuity, he's no longer responsible for Jason pa Todd's parents' death. Um, then they talk about Black Canary 2, how she has now been retconned into being a founding member of the JLA. We talk about f The Flash 2 being Wally West, how, and I still don't 
I don't grok with this, but how Barry Allen became the bolt of lightning that went back in time and created or gave Wally West his powers. Still not on board with that, but anyway. Uh, talks about how Krypton, this is the fascinating one. I don't think I've ever heard of this. Krypton was not destroyed by natural forces. According to the new history, there was an ancient war, and there was all these weapons that were created, and then in, like a delayed reaction from the weapons is what destroyed Krypton. Did you know that? If I did, I chose to forget. Okay, all right. And then there's this one thing. All right, so this isn't a retcon, but I do have to mention this. They do talk about our beloved Slipknot. They say Slipknot's left arm was destroyed by the explosion of a device affixed to his arm and to ensure his loyalty to the Suicide Squad. Aww. <laughs> Anything you got on the index, buddy? Or appendix, buddy? No, let's, let's, let's okay. call this a day. So that's it. Yeah, last page. Well, you know, it's worth the, the very last words in Who's Who... Uh, the printed version, which is this, this is the end of the comic book version of Who's Who, truthfully, because the, the annuals were not standalone issues and Star Trek and, and those are their own things. So this is the end of the comic version. The last words are, Wade Eiling is, of course, around to make Captain Adam's life as miserable as possible. <laughs> That's the end, folks. So uh, goodbye, Who's Who, in comic book form. It has been a blast. So, all right, I think we're going to go to break. And when we come back, uh, we're going we're gonna to play a podcast promo or two. And when we get back, we're going to do your listener feedback. My name is Michael Bailey, and I am still kind of a bad geek. Not a fan of anime. Never seen any of the Harry Potter films, much less read the books. I ventured a little further into the worlds of Star Wars and Star Trek. And I've even managed to watch a little Doctor Who. I've also managed to not watch a single episode of The Walking Dead. So what do I like? Comic, comic books. books. I have been reading and collecting comic books since 1987, and I've been a fan of superheroes for as long as I can remember. Some would consider this a hobby, but I prefer to look at it as what it truly is. A crippling addiction that I may never recover from. Back in 2007, I started a podcast called Views from the Long Box to deal with this borderline personality disorder. Every week or so, I pick a particular comic or issue or character or whatever to talk about them, and then, well, I, I talk about them. It's kind of what a podcast is. Sometimes I'm alone. Sometimes I'm joined by my semi-regular co-host, the Irredeemable Shag, or Thomas DJ, and the permanent semi-regular co-host, Andrew Leyland, and sometimes another friend from the podcasting and comic book world stops by to chat. The show is located at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com, where you can find old episodes and show notes and links to my other internet endeavors. You can also find the show on Facebook, and I'm on Twitter under the handle at Bailey's Podcasts. Views from the Long Box, a podcast about comic books or a desperate cry for help. You decide every Tuesday or so at www www.viewsfromthelongbox.com Hi everybody, I'm Chad Bokelman. You may know me from the Green Lantern podcast, The Lantern Cast. You also may know me from making promises across the comics podcasting community concerning a new project I've been working on. An Action Comics Weekly podcast, to be precise. 
Well, it's time to deliver on that promise. The Action Comics Weekly Podcast is a bi-weekly podcast featuring myself and a rotating cast of semi-regular co-hosts discussing the characters appearing in the comic series of the same name from the late 1980s. So, starting this summer, join me and Mark Marble as we discuss Green Lantern. For all the people that want to give Hal when he was Parallax a lot of shit about the way he acted, <laughs> Star Sapphire has nothing on Hal for being like pushed over the borderline because she's just completely friggin' nuts. Jay Jones as we discuss Wild Dog. He straight up, like you said, he, he murders these people. And that's, that's not my DC Comics. That's not super heroic at all. Batman wouldn't have killed anybody. But the story, this story is, it's, it's not bad. It's not great. It's, it's like the character himself. It's like, he's just, it's just there. It just exists. Ben Avery, as we discuss The Secret Six. So when I read this alone, as I was reading through this, this issue, I'm thinking, what am I getting myself into? <laughs> I, I told Chad I'd do this, but I don't know if I'm going to like this. <laughs> I, I do end up liking Secret Six more. This is the introduction, and without this, you know, I probably wouldn't like, you know, the, the second chapter as much. Doug Zavisha, as we discuss Dead Man. <laughs> well, it's it's a kind of a waffly Dead Man story. It wants to be a Dead Man story. It starts to be a Dead Man story. It forgets it's a Dead Man story, <laughs> and then it comes back to being one, um, all in the span of eight pages. Alan Middleton, as we discuss Blackhawk that there's sort of this era of Blackhawk where he was sort of dissolute and sort of couldn't get civilian life together. Mm -hmm. And I think this story is either beginning that trend or at least tapping into that, tapping into that fertile story. And Michael Bailey, as we discuss Superman. There is really no way to tie this two-page strip into that. So it really exists in its own world at a time where the Superman books were becoming more and more linked. So it's this oddity on a number of levels. And many other characters featuring many more guest hosts along the way. The Action Comics Weekly Podcast. Coming soon, summer 2016. Find us on Facebook for more details. folks we're back and it's time for your listener feedback and a segment we call who's who how's and why's first up we're going to tackle your itunes reviews folks these are so critical for raising the profile of the show and we sincerely appreciate everyone who's left itunes reviews we talked about this before the original fire and water podcast network feed which was where the who's who podcast lived for a long long time has over a hundred reviews which is awesome and it gets lots of attention for that the new feed which is the for the who's who podcast currently has 22 which is an increase an increase of 150% since last month, so thank you very much. But um, we could use some more, if you don't mind, and to help raise the, to get us to that five-star rating. So, What we're going to do with these iTunes reviews, we are so thankful for them. They are so beneficial to the show that we're actually going to take the time to read the entire review. So uh, with that, Rob, you want to go? Let's start with uh, Paul Hicks, who does the Waiting for Doom podcast from Australia. He says, better than the comics. Sorry if this review is quick and rough. I have pneumonia. 
Oof. I love <laughs> I love hearing these two guys talk about all things DC characters and, and where they were at, where they were at in the eighties and today. They're always entertaining, even when their ramblings are nonsensical. <laughs> you must be you offend about you. me. Yeah, you offend me, sir. Great sense of community around this show too. It's awesome how they plug many other podcasts that are as good or possibly better than their own. And he must I'm, be talking about some other show. I'm assuming he's talking about his own Waiting for Doom show, but yeah. clearly he's mistaken. So. Yeah. We heard from Michael Bailey, who uh, signed his name zero-time winner of the Yellow Dot Award. <laughs> he wrote, one of my favorite shows. As a former Catholic, I know all about the reaffirmation of faith. Well, Who's Who is my somewhat monthly reaffirmation of my DC Comics faith. The hosts are fun, irreverent, witty, and sometimes dead wrong, but I don't hold that against them. If you want a crash course in some of the older history of DC Comics, then this is the show for you. Thank you, Michael. Next, we got one from Clinton Robison from the Coffee and Comics blog, and he says, Amazing for all classic DC fans, fans of North Wind and Composite Superman need not apply. Which is hysterical. That crack. I about fell off that. That rules out three that. people. <laughs> well, Philemon, apparently you need not apply. But, uh... <laughs> They didn't, he didn't take a shot at Jericho, so he, I wonder if he can edit that. Anyway, we're from our buddies Darren and Ruth Sutherland, who do the Warlord Worlds podcast, the Trekker Talk podcast, and the Xenozoic Xenophiles podcast. See, it's not that hard to say, Rob. Anyway, uh, they said, New where killer. did all these heroes come from? The Irredeemable Shag and the Aquamazing Rob Kelly take listeners through the multitude of Who's Who series from DC Comics, introducing you to more heroes than you could ever remember. Thank goodness these two guys are here to help make sense of it, mostly. Now, I'd like to, first of all, thank you, Darren and Ruth. That's absolutely wonderful. We really appreciate that. I'd also like to point out, in the last episode, all the comments were Robin Shag, Robin Shag, Robin Shag, Robin Shag. And it was bothering me. I was taking it kind of personal. I'm like, why is everything Robin Shag? Why can't it be Shag and Rob? And I've noticed here, in quite a few of the iTunes reviews, people specifically wrote Shag and Rob. And in this case, that's what Darren and Ruth did. And the next one is that way as well. So I appreciate that, folks. Wow. Jeez. Okay. Well, it'd, be, it'd be nice to get top billing for once over it's you. It's alphabetical. Irredeemable? That's not your last name. Everyone knows your last name because it's on Facebook. <laughs> God's sakes. All right. Aaron Head Moss from the Headcast Network, Task Force X, Starman, Manhunter, G.I. Joe podcast. He says, a joy to listen to. Every month, Rob and Chag bring us a <gasps> wonderful edition of the Who's Who you podcast. Change that, sir. This is a great podcast. It covers the wonderful Who's Who series. Can't wait for the gang to get to the Loose Leaf books. This is one podcast you should be listening to. Man, I can't believe you did that. Oh, Aaron, you should write a letter to complain. All right. And thank you for the review. We sincerely appreciate that. Heard from Matthew Thomas Cody, who also has his priorities right by listing me first. He says, The Irredeemable Shag and Rom Kelly love the definitive guide to DC Comics Who's Who. They have become the definitive guide to the series. Talk, meaning, you and I have. We have become the definitive guides through the series. Talking about each entry contained therein. If you have trouble picking a favorite character, why not listen to a show that covers them all? You don't need to have the books in front of you to enjoy the episodes. But listening to these guys gush about the art for the entries makes me want to collect them all. Highly entertaining and highly recommended by me. Um, they also let you know where you can hear more about any character that piques your interest. And if they know any podcast that covers them, they're well connected to the comic book podcasts. Look at that. Every episode, I spend that time in the beginning where I talk about we're going to post the entries. You don't have to have the comics. And you're always like, Shag, you say this crap every month. Do you really need to say it? See, people appreciate it, Rob Kelly. People love me. Not this next guy. But everyone else. <laughs> All right, folks. This is this is one of the reasons I always ask you guys for iTunes review because you know people can give us a five star review. Then there's other people who might not. 
So therefore, the more reviews you can give us, it would really appreciate it. It would not only help raise the profile of the show, but also help our score on Facebook, um, help our score on iTunes. Uh, this next one, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to start cherry pick some moments here. Uh, this gentleman took issue with the way I handle the Who's Who podcast. His name's Enrico Palazzo, and he said, frustrating frame of reference. It, this podcast has a lot of positive things going for it. The hosts are very knowledgeable about DC Comics. They achieve their intention of describing the art and the entries for these characters without the listener needing the book in front of them. The context they add to the various entries is great in terms of placing fans in the time frame these books took place. The problem comes from the need to sexualize every female character they discuss. Now he goes on to this for a bit. He even puts the quotes, smoking hot. So clearly he's talking about me. Uh, he then even goes on, he says, I get that part of the shtick is having a guy nicknamed Irredeemable as the host. So... I'm sorry, Enrico, if you don't like the way I run the show. Start your own. Feel free. Um, and uh, you get the shtick. It's irredeemable. That's part of the fun. So I think that uh, I have enough friends of the lady persuasion that get where I'm coming from. They understand that I respect women for who they are and their brains, and yet I also appreciate the female form. So there we go. Sorry I didn't enjoy it. And I would tell you, last episode, the deck was kind of stacked against me. I mean, think about it. One issue had Julie, Queen Bee, Silver Swan, Silver Banshee, and we spent talking about Italia Ricci, who portrayed Silver Banshee on television. I had no hope. <laughs> Angry hero Sean left a comment. I love that name. Uh, he says, a fine show. I found this podcast while reverse searching the DC version of a Sunday afternoon on the island of La Grande Jatte painting. Wow. It rekindled my interest in comic books and comic book collecting. I now blame Rob and Chag for the swarms of terrible mm. comics that I now collect regularly. It's and Rob. I even made a podcast about it called Worst Collection Ever that I taped with my wife. This show was a regular staple of happiness for me as well as during a bout with cancer that I had a few years back. Listening to them talk about who's who while collecting along with it gave me a lot of fun of insp- gave me a lot of inspiration and brighter days, so thank you. This show is full of fun of, and memories and it comes from both a critical and fanboy, sorry, perspective that works so well. Those love the material and the medium and that comes due in spades on the podcast. You'll be compelled to go out and buy all the who's who just like I did. I'd just give this 10 stars if I could. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Angry Hero, Sean. Thank you so much, Sean. And you know what? I If we played even a tiny bit of a role in uh, keeping your spirits up during your recovery from cancer, I that warms my heart. So I'm glad we could do anything to help, pal. So I'm glad to hear you're doing better. So thanks again for all the iTunes reviews. And uh, again, if you would go out and help us out and give a couple of reviews, five star if you don't mind, we would really appreciate that. It will help raise the profile of the show. And more people will find it and more Who's Who fans will jump in and we'll have these amazing discussions. All right, next we're going to get into the comments that we got on our website and emails and social media and stuff like that. So we're going to be sort of just cherry-picking the comments. We're not going to be reading everything. We'll be picking out just bits and pieces. That way we can get through it because, uh, as I always tell you guys, I collect all the stuff. I put it in a Google document. And how long is it this month, Rob? Um, 27 pages. So uh, you guys are amazing. I mean, you know, I don't know if I've said this enough lately. This is the single greatest comic podcast listening audience on the planet. You guys are absolutely amazing. The amount of feedback you give us, whether it's sharing in our joy of these comics or telling us where we made a mistake or telling us where we're going to find more information, I love each and every one of you. You guys are awesome. So thank you. All right. We heard from Sean. Uh, at Sergey Bomba, he says, "Oh, thanks, sweet Dark Side. It's gonna keep going, and they're gonna do the Loose Leaf edition." <laughs> That's right, man. Loose Leaf's coming. I'm so excited. We heard from Michel Fief, who's a comics professional, does his own comics like Capra, and he's done some stuff for Marvel. Um, 
picking out some of the items here, he said Fujitake's connection to the shade, the changing man, was what uh, was that he drew him several times in the fan press, mostly in the comics journal. Because we talked about last time that amazing shade, the changing man entry, yep. um, done by uh, Fujitake, and uh, and we were kind of wondering what his connection was. So thank you for that. Anyway, his style, his style being very Ditko-esque, made him a perfect fit. It was definitely the only time he drew for DC, never for Marvel, but he hasn't done any comics in several decades. Then, and we've been alluding to this all episode, this is where we find out uh, about Joe Brzezowski. Michelle Fief supplied some information. I had no idea. Now, I've, I've been reading Firestorm for 30 years. I've read all those Brzezowski issues, and I had no idea the information he's about to tell me here. He says, Brzezowski had been swiping his head off, Shag. And he says, I, I'm not allowed to like this guy. He goes, uh, and he talks about here, because I talked about the Stella, and, and I'm, not, I'm saying the name wrong, uh, Stalnavoik, basically Steel Wolf, the last issue, the Russian guy with the flag. I, I really liked the drawing. I thought it was kind of a cool pose. And he points out that that drawing is shamelessly flipped and traced from the Roy Raymond detective drawing by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise, praise be his name. his name. And I was stunned. I was completely horrified that he literally just copied. I mean, if you look at the two side by side, he clearly traced it. And uh, it was really upsetting. In fact, I showed it to my wife when I was like, what do you think of this? And she was basically horrified that he would steal the art like that. Now, Rob, I ask you, because you said earlier the whole copy, borrow, steal kind of concept. What's your feelings on swiping? Um, I mean, I was being a little cheeky sort of with, with the Wallywood thing. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't. I, it's hard. I don't. I don't. Some great artists have done it. Like you know, Wally Wood did it, and and some of it. Although Wally Wood could draw circles around most people, so it wasn't like Wally Wood lacked the talent. I think he was just like, let me just get it done. Rich Buckler sort of got caught, but Rich Buckler's a great artist. So, you know, I don't know. Um, I do feel that you know, for who's who listings, you shouldn't be copying things. You know, you have a chance. Other who's who listings too. Yeah, that on top of it. So yeah, I mean, I I've always found Joe Brzezowski's work to be pretty weak. So the fact that he was swiping so heavily suggests that, you know, he was really not all that great and he was able to get by by stealing other people. So he shouldn't be doing stuff like that. But And I think we'll see some of that in some of the Firestorm issues. I may not be able to recognize what he's swiping from, but there's clearly some issues that are the, – the art is underwhelming in some issues. Uh, we got uh, a message from Mike LaCroix, CD, Canadian Military History Podcast. He says, I blame the Who's Who Update 88 podcast for giving me nightmares of having Ty <laughs> Templeton-style tattoos of Firestorm all over my body. They were, I don't know what that means. They were pretty slick, but I had no idea how they got there. Keep up the great work and don't quit like those Crisis on Infinite Earths guys Aww. before you reach the end. Looking forward to the Star Trek Burn Con and Legion. And as far as the loose leaf edition, I put mine in the binders in the order that they were packaged. No sorting. Just take off the wrapper and snap it in the binder. Thanks for a great show. <laughs> Interesting. I love hearing how people uh, arrange their binders because some it's just so fascinating. Everyone did it differently. Heard from our buddy Bradley Null, who was kind enough to post several Who's Who images over on Instagram using our hashtag. And then he wrote, and one of them here, I like this, Sandman, son of Hawkman, soon to be called Little Ghost, a guy whose story is just so weird. He will be Dr. Fate eventually. Hector Hall, Hector Hall, he don't get no respect at all. <laughs> Yeah, I guess I hadn't thought about it. You know, I don't think we mentioned that when we were talking about the Sandman and Hector Hall. I don't think we mentioned he became Dr. Fate in that last episode. <laughs> Shame I on us. I think so, yeah. Uh, he, uh, Joe X wrote in to say, uh, regarding Hector Hall, he says, Hector Hall was the male version of Dula Dent, picking up whatever legacy was lying around. Oh, that's hysterical. 
And I mentioned that Scott Fisher's uh, fate was sort of in question because last issue they said Scott Fisher is a member of Doom Patrol for now. Well, he says, uh, Joe X says, Scott Fisher's fate will be discussed on an upcoming episode of Siskoid's First Strike Invasion podcast, a proud member of the Firewater Podcast Network. Thanks for the plug, Joe. We appreciate it. Uh, and then uh, he – oh, he's the one who shared the information for me. I was talking earlier about Vanessa – Capilitis, uh, whatever her name is, the, the the young teenage girl that lives with Wonder Woman. He's the one. Uh, Joe X is the one who shared the information with me where she turned into Silver Swan. Ah. Uh, Ryan Daly, our pal from the Secret Origins podcast, Power Fishnets, Oop. and give me those Star Wars. Yes, he says you guys are right. Ratcatcher's first appearance was Detective Comics five eighty five. Issue forty five was the one where Bronze Tiger defeated Batman. Yeah, that's one of those ones where we both on the air. We were like, "Wait a minute, that doesn't sound right." Well, there were a few issues last uh, uh, first issue notices last issue uh, of Husu where it was exactly one hundred one hundred issues off from where it should right. be. So it's almost like someone got a spreadsheet wrong or something. But anyway, we're from Paul Hicks, uh, who we mentioned in the iTunes review section. He says, Punch and Julie, because I talked about Punch and Julie and how the, the entry said it was a platonic relationship. I sort of hinted that I knew it didn't stay platonic. Well, Paul just explains it. Punch and Julie didn't stay platonic. They made their Suicide Squad teammates very uncomfortable on one mission with their in-mission fraternization. And she was eventually pregnant to him later in that run. Heard from Jose Rivera. Yeah, he's talking about the Will Payton Starman, and he goes, uh, he's, the Payton Starman got me into Robinson Starman run to see what happened to him. And while I love the character, whenever I see that first costume, all I can think is, it's peanut butter and jelly time. Now, you took issue with this, Rob. You were like, why is that peanut butter and jelly? But I'm not the only one who thinks of it as a peanut butter and jelly colored costume. Okay. <laughs> I don't, I, Starman's costume is... Purple and yellow. I, that's not the colors of peanut butter and jelly to me, but okay, it's fine. We're going to talk about it again in just a minute, which is hysterical. So Jeff Nettleton wrote in uh, with a, I would say, rather shorter entry than he normally did. Maybe he had pneumonia <laughs> as well. Normally it's like, you know, encyclopedia size. Anyway, I talked about Swamp Thing and was talking about uh, – the I, I wasn't familiar with the 1942 German pilot version, and you've mentioned it. Anyway, it says here um, that 1942 German pilot Albert Hollerer is an homage to the Hillman character, The Heap which predated both Swamp Thing and Man Thing. Oh, I didn't realize that. That's very cool Alan Moore slipped. That does seem like a very Alan Moore thing to slip in. Yes. He also writes, uh, Per Degaton has a great appearance in Batman the Brave and the Bold in the episode The Golden Age of Justice. Yes, he oh. does. Uh, that's, you know, that's Brave and the Bold is one of those shows that if I had more time to do more podcasts, which I don't, I would do a show devoted to that show. That was such a good show, and I miss it so much. that, And I don't think it's covered exclusively on a podcast. I could be wrong. <laughs> Uh, and I would love to do that, but, uh, you know, unfortunately, time does not permit it. But, man, I miss that show. I, I freely admit, I haven't seen enough episodes of it. I really oh, should. So, so would, did Perdagonon appear in a full episode or one of the, like, the little opening teasers? Uh, I was the f- I'm trying to remember now because I remember – I can picture them in my mind. I think it was the teaser. Okay. I'm trying to remember them. But the teasers were just as good sometimes. Yeah. Uh, oh, so continuing so Jeff Nettleton, last comment from him. He says, I enjoyed the Will Payton Starman, but that costume always looked like something rejected by an Olympic downhill skier. Tom Alisle was a heck of an artist, though. And you know what? Now that he said that, I will never be able to unsee that. It does absolutely look like an Olympic sort of, you know, lycra or spandexy type of costume. Oh, my gosh. It's funny. Sort of like Aquaman's um, camo suit. Yeah, the action the action figure of his camo suit looks like a figure skater, you know. Yeah, yes, it does. Uh, our pal uh, Diablo Frank from the World Spy Network, Marvel Superheroes, Bloodlines, Idolhood of Diablo, Wonder Woman, Power of the Atom, plus all the blogs. Good lord, 
Uh, he, he wrote his usual treaties, uh, but we'll skip through here. He says, I respect what Alan Moore did on a book about sentient vegetation, but when I look at the Congress of Cucumbers, all I see are the Gardens of the Universe produce aisle. <laughs> it's hysterical to read, but I don't even know what he means. <laughs> I just uh, go with it. <laughs> Later on, he, uh, again, talking about the Sandman entry uh, with Hector Hall, he says, I enjoy the Golden Age uh, gaiety of Vince Argandeza's Sandman drawing, but Hector Hall was like a cross between the least interesting... <laughs> I can't say it with a straight face. He's a cross between the least interesting aspects of Hank Pym and Scott Summers combined with all the flair of a dollar store action figure. <laughs> Poor Hector Hall. He's taking a beating in the comment section. I, I got to tell you, though, guys, I will stand up for his Dr. Fate era. It was really good. So then he goes on later on. He says, Toy Man is like the penguin and that he's a classic but fairly outdated uh, and modern creators struggle to sell him to the modern image conscious audiences. They're different in that the penguin plays a major role in Batman history and is a rich character worthy of the effort made in trying to make get him uh, over today. Whereas the Toy Man is an old timey sucky suck and morons need to allow any of the many better options presented since the 1970s to carry on that trademark instead of the continuously default back to the pinstriped vomit bag of a character. Holy crap! Wow. Well, that you know what? Apparently, uh, Alex Ross agrees with him because in Justice he used the uh, the version from the Super Friends cartoon, right? Yes. Yep. And then, then Frank drops this knowledge bomb, and then this says nothing else. He says, I keep forgetting to mention this, but to, to Ryan Daly and to us, that he has Capital City distribution sales numbers on Secret Origins and Who's Who. Oh, my gosh. Frank, where's this information? Share it, buddy. We need it. All right, we heard from our buddy Michael Bailey from Views in the Long Box and from Crisis to Crisis and the Zero Yellow Dot Award winner. Uh, he says, Cy, Fawn, and Dreadnought. Well, their first appearance was great. Bring on the guest stars, including Ordway drawing Captain Marvel, which is always great. Their follow-up by Dan Jurgens is amazing. It was a great example of Dan asking, why do characters always do this in comics and having Superman deal with it? Hmm. Uh, Mike, Neil, feel free to drop us what issue that's in. That might be worth checking out. That sounds pretty cool. He also says, uh, I can't get behind the idea that Update 88 served only to promote what was on the stands at the time. What else were they supposed to do? The book had already covered a good chunk of the DCU in the first series and gave us updates on the major changes with characters like Batman, Captain Adam, Captain Marvel, etc. with Update 87. The whole point of doing updates is to do new entries for new characters and updated entries for the characters who were either reintroduced or changed over the past year. By that very mandate, Who's Who had to talk about what was going on in the books that had been on the stands within the last year. More to the point, what's wrong with self-promotion? I can't fault DC for wanting to get people to read their other books. It's entertaining, and for the most part, the art is gorgeous, so what's the haunt? Do you agree? Do you disagree? I do agree with that. That's why I chose okay. to read that quote. Okay. Uh, and then Frank came back with a couple of responses. He, he had an alternative suggestion. He said what they could have done was skip Update 87 entirely, since DC was still getting its stuff together post-crisis. Then start again with Update 88 as maybe like a 6 to 12 issue volume, as, as needed, and repeat every other year. Uh, and his thought was to take the definitive directory quote as a mandate and continue digging into DC's rich history and as a byproduct create an inventory catalog of your intellectual properties to maintain your copyrights and fuel creativity and licensing. Hmm. I kind of like that idea, trying to do every other year because if you think about it, you got 87, you got 88, then we're going to get the annuals in 89, and then the loose leaf I think started in 90, didn't it? 90, 91, I think it started. I okay, all right. 
So uh, taking a break would give you a, a chance to recharge, you know, basically the characters. But the, the the loose leaf really was a whole new format and did give them a chance to redo a whole new entry for a lot of characters that necessarily may not have needed an updated entry. But because of the new format, it was nice to see it. And you'll find that out soon, Rob. Uh-huh. Heard from our buddy Sphinx Magoo, who uh, I think was a Hanna Barbera character. Uh, he's talking about the puppeteer. He says, I think Shag was remembering the later appearance of Puppeteer when George Perez had moved away from the book before the puppeteer had appeared in New Teen Titans number 19. Well, I can tell you I'm not remembering that because I haven't read the New Teen Titans series. Um, so, But uh, he goes in to say then it was, a, it was at the time and being happy that – I'm sorry. At the time, he remembers – I'll get this right any minute now, folks, I promise. Sphinx remembers at the time being happy that Marv Wolfman and George Perez were bringing back forgotten villains, which seemed to be a thing for Marv Wolfman at the time, uh, and he liked it that they were bedeviling our heroes. It really gave DC a feeling of depth and history that was, felt really refreshing. Well, thank you, Sphinx. I appreciate all those comments. Now, I will tell you that what I was remembering was his, his costume. I kept saying his costume looks familiar. And finally, Ange and Siskoid over on Twitter sort of helped me figure out who the puppeteer looked like. The puppeteer, in my mind, is a combination. If you take Gangbuster's costume and combine it with Goldface's costume, you get the puppeteer. And that's, that's what I'm seeing. That's what's going through my head. Uh, then we heard from our buddy Siskoid from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. He does the First Strike Invasion Podcast, the Ohatmu or Not Podcast, the Lonely Hearts Romance Comics uh, Podcast, and also Siskoid's blog of Geekery. He's talking about Punch and Julie, and he had a question for me. I was talking about how Julie was a proto-Harlequin. And he says, I'm not sure what you're getting at, Shag. When you say DC didn't know which side they were going to come down on, it's not like Harley existed in 88, so I don't think DC had the option of going for one or the other. Well, I, and that's not what I intended, Siskoid. Maybe I, I, I probably didn't articulate myself very well. Keep in mind, it's like 2 o'clock in the morning when we get to this, these, these things. Um, it just seemed like there was a lot of characters in the DC pantheon in post-crisis that were sort of Harlequin-like. Um, there was actually a new Harlequin. There was Julie. There was Harlequin, the character from the, you know, by 92 or so when the, when the animated series started. So there were, and, and I'm forgetting someone else uh, I know that I mentioned on previous episodes. So there were a few sort of Harlequin-type characters. So I guess what I was saying is, is that DC, I think DC had an idea of something they wanted to hone in on, but they couldn't quite figure out how to get there is kind of what I meant to say. All right. He says, uh, regarding Quizlet, I don't get the Rich Rankin Bash joke. Uh, it's Ironically, he doesn't get a Bash joke, considering that's one of his personalities. But uh, no, the Shag's joke with the Rankin, Rich Rankin thing is the Rankin Bass are the guys who made all those stop-motion Christmas specials of Rudolph and uh, the Year Without a Santa Claus. So it was just a Rankin joke. It's, it's not all that sophisticated, Cisco. Don't worry about it. Mad Monster Party. Yes, Mad, of course, Mad Monster Party, which we covered on the Film and Water podcast. That's why I mentioned it. Then, uh, I mean, not that I listened to that show or anything. No. I wouldn't want people to think that. Anyway, um, he mentioned Strobe, who I just, I was not having any of that nonsense last episode. Anyway, Strobe from the Atom, he says his next biggest appearance was in the DC Heroes role-playing collection of adventures, Hot Pursuit, the one that featured the Atom. <laughs> he does seem like a perfect fit for a role-playing game, because he was a real mort. Yeah, exciting stuff there, Siskoid. Uh, Darren Sutherland hey, writes hey, in. Hey, you be nice for role playing stuff. Da- Darren Sutherland writes in to say, We both laughed today when we heard poor Rob stumble over our Xenozoic Xenophiles title. At least maybe that will make it memorable. Also excited to know we're on Lonely Hearts podcast. I'm sure we will be sufficiently embarrassed by our attempt at acting. Yeah, they had um, 
Cisco had had the Sutherlands do the romance comics theater, and mm-hmm. I just I roared. I was I was I laughed so hard at that segment because there's just something about having Darren and Ruth, who seems to have kind of like dignified, read this mm-hmm. ridiculous dialogue. Oh my god, I just <laughs> lost it. I good. I just. I mean, I love that segment. I think everybody does. And yes. the, the the girls normally do a great job. Isabel and, and Natalie and Seven Shotgun. I think it does. I'm not sure which ones do it. But there was just something about hearing Darren and Ruth do it. It just floored me. I thought it was so. It funny. was very charming. It was very charming to hear a, a genuine couple playing that role. It was funny. <clears throat> then we heard from Chris Franklin, also from the Firewater Podcast Network. He does the Supermates Podcast and the Power Records Podcast. Uh, yeah, he said my favorite part of the episode was Rob's laugh during the Speed McGee discussion. <laughs> You were not kind. You were not kind. <laughs> oh, I liked it. No, I thought I was. I liked that character. Why? Well, okay. I seem to recall the laugh was pretty maniacal, but but I was but I was playing Speed McGee. That was oh. that was what I was doing because he was okay. like he's completely nuts in the listing. See that? I guess I need to actually listen to what you say from now on because I probably wasn't paying attention at all. In fact, I'm not sure what you're saying right now. Uh, what? I had talked about huh? how the creeper. In my mind, when I was a little kid, I thought he was connected to the Joker, like he was part of the Joker families or something like that. And my stepson, oddly enough, thought the same thing. And Chris comes in and says, oh, Shag, the Creeper origin was connected to the Joker on the new Batman Adventures, the second version of the Batman animated series. So that may be where you're getting that from. Well, it's not where I'm getting it from. I I got it from an ad in the world's finest comics uh, back in the 1970s is where I was thinking it. But it's quite possible my stepson got it from there, so. We're here from Sean, who runs a Tumblr page dedicated to the New Gods, called New Gods Library. And thank goodness for him, because somebody should be doing that. He says, let's talk about sleaze, says the crazy person who fell into that fourth world trap a few years ago and never truly escaped. He says, sleaze was the depraved flasher troll whose grand perverted plan convinced Darkseid, Darkseid of all people, to quickly give up his location to the heroes so they could stop him just in time to stop an event that Jack Kirby found out about and decided while he was still in our mortal coil. Uh, I'm sorry, found out about and decried while he was still in our mortal coil. Oof, I didn't know Jack Kirby heard about that. And then uh, just talking about sleaze this much gives me the douche chills. <laughs> uh, he also says, FYI, since this is my first time posting on your site, because I guess tweeting replies was the best I could do before now, if you've ever wondered if a listener of yours is crazy enough to talk about the new gods more than a sane person should, then wonder no more. Thank goodness they're all over the Who's Who Lucy edition, so I can keep commenting on them and generally annoying you like a New Gods fan would and probably should. <laughs> keep up the great work, guys, and please, please don't cancel those plans to cover the loose leaves because of this comment. Plans canceled. <laughs> Make no promises. I love the loose leaves. You have nothing to fear, Sean. Your your new your beloved new gods will be treated with respect uh, that they deserve. Maybe we'll put it that way. Heard from Mark Baker Wright from the Black Rocks Toy Box blog. He's talking about the Will Payton Starman. He says he uh, he he just he he talks about specifically the crisis of the Crimson Kryptonite storyline, and I can't believe I forgot about that. That's when I discovered Starman, I, I, there was an issue I discovered from that had tied in with the JSA. And then they immediately went into the crisis of the kryptonite. Kryptonite, I can't, that's a tongue twister. I can't say that. Whatever. Storyline. And that's, that's actually what cemented my fandom of Starman and got me into Superman at the same time. Because at the end of that storyline, Clark proposes to Lois. So I had heard about that. I'm like, oh, you know, Clark Kent and Lois Lane are going to get engaged. So I went and bought that comic and then backtracked and bought the crisis of the Crimson Kryptonite. And that's what got me into post-crisis Superman right then and there. And that's when I was just starting my Starman comic. So thanks for the memory flash, Mark. I'm getting old, so that helps the Alzheimer's. 
Uh, we get a message from Dale Russell. He says, "Shaggy frustration, excellent." Uh, that was, I was, that was in regard to the the podcast, the whole episode in general. The next yeah. comment was separate. Right. He says, uh, "I was driving through San Antonio on my way to a job." Uh, it sounds mysterious. On my way to a job, I saw this <laughs> and I had to turn around and take pictures. It has the yellow dot motifs and everything, and it is a shot of a cocktail bar called Who's Who, and <laughs> and the logo is like an owl, of course, and surrounding the logo are yellow dots. Dun, dun, dun. Amazing. Uh, we also got another comment from Darren Sutherland. He says, uh, we hear that Rob of the Fire and Border Podcast Network is in need of a new co-host for Who's Who following a freak accident involving Firestorm Fan. <laughs> Just kidding. We love Shags, but his obvious incorrect opinion of Shadow. Yes, I, uh, I was not terribly kind to Shadow in the last episode, and the Sutherlands took issue with that, rightfully so, as they should have. <laughs> Darren will cut a bitch if he has to. Oh, my God. <laughs> They're like the nicest people in podcasting. I can't believe you said what, that. He's probably horrified, they, right? He probably passed out. It's what they want you to think. Oh, it's true. You know, who knows what's living in their basement, but or not <laughs> living in their basement anymore. Anyway, uh, Anthony Durso, who's one of our buddies who does these amazing uh, custom Mego boxes, uh, he says DC was really going through the motions at this point with Who's Who, and I think we really see that Anthony in this issue. I think that's clear as day. Then we heard from our buddy Joe X, who says Rich Rankin was probably best known at the time for inking Bill Willingham on Elementals and Matt Wagner on Mage. Hmm, thank you. And I, of course, followed that up with saying, and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Yes. Here from our buddy Ange, Dr. Ange, who does the Supergirl blog, Comic Box Commentary. He's having a good year with the Supergirl show and it being renewed, and they've added Linda Carter. Oh, man. He's just riding, riding, on, riding high, Ange. Awesome. He's talking about the cover. The Ty Templeton cover, he says, I love it, especially that Sinestro is pointing a cannon at Quizlet. Quiz was annoying enough to merit it. Now, folks, this is coming from one of the, one of the, the core members of the Legion of Super Bloggers. He's saying that Quizlet was so annoying he deserved to be shot. Wow, that really Thanks. speaks volumes about there Quizlet. He also says, Shade the Changing Man is one of my favorites. Love all his incarnations, but since this is revised, shouldn't it be Shade the Changed Man? And this man is in charge of human life. <laughs> He's also in charge of the five years later Legion reviews. So uh, just, Silver... just as important. Exactly. That's the point I was making. Silver Swan is a great villain for Wonder Woman because the character defined herself by her looks. She felt she was ugly as a human and therefore worthless and so made the deal for her beauty. It's that superficial take on being a woman that Diana fights against. Thematically therein, I think she's very interesting. That's very, I would agree with that. Then over on Twitter, he posted a, a picture of uh, – you live up north in New Jersey with, like, with like the, the fjords and stuff. Have you seen uh, – they have these little uh, pocket hand warmers things, you know? You, put, you ever use these probably? You probably I've have, seen them. I've, I've seen them, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, he says, uh, Scott from the, uh, from the Doom Patrol, Scott Fisher left heroing to become a spokesman with a, quite a lucrative business. And they, he posted a picture of those hot hands. Uh, which I thought was hysterical. And then he says, if you have to know, the Puppet Master was a big enough threat to merit a spot in Wanted number one. You remember that series from the 70s, Wanted? Yeah, the reprint series, yep. Yeah, apparently he did show up in Wanted number one, so I guess he, he was a going concern for about five minutes. So, heard from Jerry R., who always does our mission of the month. He says, it comes again from the proto-Vertigo corner of the DC Universe, John Constantine's iconic antagonist, Papa Midnight. Papa Midnight managed to achieve his iconic status largely by being in John Constantine's first solo story and surviving the encounter and then not appearing again for decades. <laughs> All right, fair enough. I'll give you that one. 
Uh, we got a message from Philoon, and he says, "I agree with most of your criticism of the cover, Rob. I might take things stake. I might take things a step further and say that, with the exception of the Parliament of Trees, all the characters are too far from the camera, as it were. But that is really a minor criticism. The colors do make this one stand out. Yeah, I love that. I I love that cover. This again, the one this, this issue is my favorite, but I liked all the Templeton ones. I think they're terrific. I'd like to point out that you just agreed with Philemon. I know. it's Well, he agreed with me. That's really the sort of the way I look at it. Oh, a sneaky way to make that work. Okay. Yeah. Now, if you don't know the history of Philemon in this podcast, Philemon is a very nice, disturbed man who writes in with the most nonsensical things that are usually the opposite of logic. And let's see what he says next. He says, try as I might, I cannot make up my mind which quasi-mystical overblown concept reeks more of horrid 90s-ness. The Parliament of Trees or the Lords of Chaos and Order? Given their enduring stench, I guess I would have to vote for the Parliament. (laughs) Oh my gosh! You just pissed off every Swamp Thing fan and every Doctor Fate fan on the planet. Way to go, Philemon. Uh, then he goes on to say, uh, he actually says something nice. Uh, and he, he must have been taking his meds by the time he got to number nine. He says, I so need to read my Will Payton Starman comics. They've sat in my collection for years. Well, actually, that just goes to prove that he's disturbed anyway, because he should have read those comics. They're so good. Anyway, he says, Shag, I'll trade you. You take the time to read the new Teen Titans, and I'll crack open Starman. What do you say? Well, Philoman, um, Philoman, Philemon, whatever your name is, if that is your real name, I will tell you that I just recently rearranged my office, and I, for the first time in 11 years, I have access to my entire comic collection. This is very exciting. I've had about 30 boxes I couldn't really get to for about 11 years. Now I can get to everything, and I have everything nicely organized. My daughter's been helping me alphabetize them. Uh, I just hope she doesn't find the cherry Pop-Tart issues. Anyway, um... I got all my new Teen Titans, and they are in a stack, and they are on top. That's not a guarantee they're going to get read anytime soon, because I have to read Who's Who comics all the time for you people who forced me in Just League International comics. But they are on top, and I hopefully will read them sometime in the near future. Shag, I think I think I've proven we don't have to read them to do the show. <laughs> that is the truth, sir. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Heard from our buddy Rift, who lives in Australia, and as I understand it, he is the equivalent of Kilowog to the Waiting for Doom guys. He says, uh, bro- that's, that's a Justice League International reference, but anyway. He says, Bronze Tiger appeared on Arrow, I think in season two, so he should have been credited with TV star Bronze Tiger. Yes! My first pointing out of an error. Well, thank you, Rift. You, you have officially joined the status of jerk like the rest of the people that write into this show. Congratulations! <laughs> Uh, Boston Moss wrote in to say regarding uh, uh, Zoom's uh, Lady Cop. He says, Lady Cop, just beautiful, nicely done, Zoom. Absolutely. And I just wanted to mention it because I always like to mention Lady Cop. Lady Cop. Uh, Martin Gray from Too Dangerous for a Girl blog wrote in to say, the puppeteer didn't appear for years and we were all fine. That tells us something. <laughs> you guys, you got to go read Martin's comments. He has just this real biting, sarcastic sense that just cracks me up. It's because he's from Naboo, um, which is a, a planet that he's from. But anyway, uh, he says, I never read Young All-Stars, and I just keep saying that to irritate the hell out of him because he hates Star Wars. But I've never read Young All-Stars, but the presence of the original Huntress as Tigress has me intrigued. She started one of my favorite giants ever, the supervillains versus superhero Strange Sports Stories DC Special. Such fun, even though it was something to do with the with rounders. The the Mana Giordano art is sumptuous. If only they've gotten to, if only they had gotten to draw the sublime Velvet Tiger. 
He also has a uh, Martin has a real weird fascination with Velvet Tiger. I think that's entirely the fault of me and Stella when we covered them on an episode of her show. But uh, there you have it. <laughs> Then we heard from Nathan Archer, who's a cartoonist and a local comic book publisher in my own town. And he goes, uh, he said some very nice comments. And then he said he was writing us about, as we approach the end of Who's Who Update 88, and as we approach the loose leaf of that on the horizon, some people may be wondering where they can pick up their copies. Well, he was in his original hometown of Richmond, Virginia, a few months ago, and he stopped by Dave's Comics, which is has a website, www.davescomics.com, and they had tons of copies of all the loose leaf editions. They even had some binders. So, I just want to share that with the who's who dudes keep up the awesome work guys and praise be to brenda pope <laughs> i love it when people get us you know he really gets them so yes folks check out davescomics.com if you need the loose leaf editions that'd be awesome uh wolfgang hearts follows up he says yes i was just kidding when i said i wanted a new guardians movie i noticed that you guys seemed really horrified at the idea that someone actually liked that team is their series really that bad or something uh, a yes and b as we've seen now that Wild Dog is going to be in live action, virtually any character is worthy of being plucked by Hollywood and given their own series. And we just didn't want to get any ideas. So, no. <laughs> I wouldn't say worthy of being plucked, but potentially Are capable. Potentially, yeah, that's what <laughs> yeah. I meant. Yeah. Uh, then we heard from Nathaniel Wayne from the 90s Comics Retrial and the Council of Geeks. And folks, as I, I would say Nathaniel is now qualified. He's done enough episodes of his show that he qualifies as a 90s comics expert. All right? So this next bit is sort of fitting. It says, all of this love for sleaze, despite looking like he stepped right out of the pages of Rob's favorite comic ever, Spawn. <laughs> he looks like a prototype for the Violator. Um, being an expert, Rob, I think he's calling us out. Uh, you may be right there, sir. You may be right. Yeah. Uh, our pal Buck Rowlett, Buck Rowlett, uh says... Do you need to pray on it? Says, uh, hashtag who's who made me LOL on the bus. Hashtag FW podcast. And then Luke Dobb followed up with, I hear if you say Buck Rowlett three times, he appears. <laughs> well, last month you said you were talking about some entry and you said, I don't know how I feel about that. And so I asked you, do you need to pray on it? So there you go. Yeah. Uh, we heard from our buddy Willie Yarbrough. He wrote, I miss Punch and Julia. I hope they make a return in DC Rebirth. I enjoyed their short time in the Suicide Squad. And then he had a back-and-forth conversation with Aaron Headmoss, who runs the Task Force X podcast. And uh, Willie said, always wanted to know how their family worked out because last time I read, they were pregnant. Now, if I remember, I want to say the uh, next iteration of Who's Who, the Loose Leaf, I want to say the picture is got them and I think the baby's in it. In fact, uh, somebody wrote in pointing out how it's uh, sort of a nod to a Saturday evening post cover, but I'm pretty sure the baby's in the picture, so I think uh, I think things turned out okay. Heard from Clinton Robinson from the Comics and Coffee blog. He says, my friend, oh, he sent me a special video. Uh, not that kind mm. of video. Not that kind of video. But he has a friend, Rebecca Shear, who is a cosplayer, and she was a cosplay guest at the Tulsa Comic Expo, and he convinced her, uh, probably through bribery, I would have to assume, to send a message uh, to me. And it's a video of her dressed up uh, in the Barbara Gordon Batgirl cowl and red hair, and she's absolutely stunningly beautiful. And it looks like he maybe forced her into a back hallway, so she had no choice to, but to do this. I don't know. But she basically said hi to the Irredeemable Shag. It was wonderful. And um, she was, dare I say it, she was hot. So thank you for that, Clinton. Then we heard from our buddy Tom Panarese, who you heard a little earlier from Pop Culture Affidavit. And uh, he was posting, he posted a really neat image of the Who's Who update comic with his iPod on it showing our show logo, which uh, he said he was ready to go. So I thought that was really nice. Very cool. Uh, our pal David Ace Gutierrez, he had a couple different comments, but he said, Pod Dylan bashing? P.S. You're never guesting on the show, Shag. 
uh, executive producer David Ace Gutierrez. It's true. <laughs> hey, I've got two uh, Traveling Wilburys albums, so thank you very much. I, I think I could qualify. It's not that you're not qualified. It's just you bashed on the show. That's all. Oh, come on. You, everyone, all right, folks, just so you know, <laughs> as shocking, and, and I'm not kidding, uh, on our comic book podcast network, one of our most popular shows is Pod Dylan. I kid That's you right. not, okay? That's right. So all the kidding and ribbing we give Rob is just that, kidding and ribbing. The the little misfit kid in our network is... Now who's uh, making it rain? That would be exactly. me. Exactly. The, the Bob Dylan fandom have found the podcast. So mm-hmm. way to go, Rob. That's awesome. I think that's great. So uh, hopefully I get you one step closer to me, to talking with Bob. I expect an interview soon. Yeah, uh, we'll get right on that. <laughs> Heard from our buddy Al Gerding, who used to do a podcast called All-Star Comics uh, Review Podcast. What the heck, pal? Seriously? When's the yeah, next episode really? coming out? Anyway, he wrote in to say Tiger, because Tiger's had a really weird history in there. And I was confused by it. I'm like, I don't remember any of this. And he says, Tigress was killed by the Valkyrie, who doesn't wear any underwear. That's a Secret Origins reference. And then Arn, who is Iron Monroe, traded the Valkyrie Tigress's soul for that of Ubermensch. So she came back to life evil. Huh. So that explains how Tigress went to becoming Huntress, the evil version. So there you go. Uh, I apparently, I I didn't discover this until later, but apparently I gave up on Young All-Stars at some point. I was reading it, but I did never finish the series. I didn't even buy them all. So I may have to uh, go back and dig all that up. Uh, Gene Hendricks from the Hammer Strikes podcast and blog, Legend of the Superheroes, Quantum Cast, and other shows on the Two True Freaks Network said, We found a new way to listen to Who's Who. Use the PlayStation to listen and look at the uploaded pages. And then he sent pictures of just that, of like the actual Who's Who pages on their TV, which was amazing. It was really cool. Yeah, it was a giant image of the Queen Bee, you know, which probably wasn't appropriate to show his daughter. But anyway, uh, I, I thought it was really cool. Then he goes on to say, so, we were listening to the latest Who's Who podcast yesterday, and Kira, that's his daughter, was playing with her ponies when this happened. Shag on the podcast butchers the word, I'm going to do it again, tokusatsu. I said it wrong, I'm sure, again. And Kira says, what's he trying to say? And then Gene says, tokusatsu. And Kira says, tokusatsu. And Gene says, yes. And Kira says, why can't he say it if I can? Gene says, he has trouble pronouncing stuff. Then Kira, who's in a speech class at school, says, does he need to go to speech class? And Gene, stifling laughter, says, probably. Gene, I think you're right. I think I should come back up to New Jersey and me and Kara can go to class together because clearly I do need some assistance. Uh, We have a bunch of uh, people that shared uh, our stuff on their own social media timelines, which would be Facebook, Twitter, Google Plus. Google Plus, please. Uh, There are some Google Plus people in here this time. Okay. So we're going to go through that list, starting with Aaron Head Moss. Adam Ackerman, Alan Middleton, Ange, Barry Reese, Between the Pages, Charlton Hero, Chris Franklin, Christopher Warden, Chuck Rodriguez, Clint Robinson, Coffee Comics Blog, Dale Russell, Daniel Budnick, David Gutierrez, DC in the 80s, Decca Black, Derek William Crabb, Diablo Flank, DSNRS, Ed Moore, Jared West, Jason Unmass, Jeffrey Brown, Jeremiah Parker, Joe Slab, Jonathan Brown, Jose Rivera. <laughs> but wait, Rob, you missed something. <laughs> Joe Slab says, like that. You know, that's how that works. Anyway, uh, did you say Keechee Baker? I don't know. I wasn't listening. No, you go ahead. Keechee Baker, Cord Industries, Kyle Benning, Luke Dobb, Michael Bailey, Mikey Flash, uh, Rift, Robert Lewis, Rolled Spine Podcast, Ryan Daly, Silver and Gold Podcast, Siskoid, Son of Cthulhu, Speeding Bullets, Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour, Stephen Bird, Test Force S, 
Task Force X. That shouldn't be so hard to say. No wonder they call the movie Suicide Squad. The Hammer Strikes, The Headcast Network, The Lantern Cast, Trekker Talk, Two True Freaks, Van Z, Waiting for Doom, Warlord Worlds, Willie Yarbrough, and Xenozoic Xenophiles. Folks, thank you so much for sharing our show on your uh, social media timelines. It really helps to promote the show, and you're just helping spread the word and growing this Who's Who community. We really appreciate it. All right, up next, folks, is our segment called Zoom's Who. This is dedicated to the amazing Zoom Yukonori, who has given us so many wonderful custom Who's Who entries over the years, and now we've given him his own segment, Zoom's Who, Zoom Yukonori's addendum to the definitive director of the DC Universe. So he sent us in a two uh, it's a one page with, a, with two entries on the same page, and this is how he described it. He goes, it was inevitable that there would be a Zoom's Who page featuring Mort's. <laughs> I had no idea who these characters were. Yeah, the, the top half is the Bouncer, and the bottom half is Breakaway Bandit. Now, uh, I'll talk about the entries just a little bit here. Uh, Bouncer appeared in detect- uh, first appeared in Detective Comics number 347, and the entry is him in all sort of a red color, and he's bouncing sort of like speedball, bouncing off the walls, bing, 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 and Batman's looking like frustrated and, uh, and angry. And then Breakaway Bandit, in the foreground, he's wearing kind of a green outfit with yellow gloves, and he's purple with this crazy mohawk. And then in the Serpent, it shows him literally breaking apart, sort of like a Shogun warrior firing his fist at, at, at the Flash. His torso is kick, is separated from the rest of his body. It's kicking the Flash. It's great. And the Bouncer image, he credits Jose – I'm sorry – he says that, let's see, I want to get this right here. He says, the bouncer figure was created by combining the DC comic style guide poses of Batman and Mr. Miracle, and the breakaway bandit was from a panel in Flash Volume 1, number 158. And the Mirror Master from, the, oh, and it's also the Mirror Master from the cover of Flash number 136. That's where the body comes from. So again, he credits uh, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his, his name. He actually wrote that in the entry, and Zoom Yukonori. And breakaway bandit, he credits Carmen Infantino and Zoom Yukonori. And we'll put these entries up on our, t- um, um, I was about to say Tumblr. You wow, to man! Say Tumblr, yeah. I know. I started to on our gallery post. And uh, Bouncer, <laughs> he's funny. He's this guy basically created a formula called Elastaloy, <laughs> which allows him to do the rebounding thing. Ding, 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 ding. And uh, he gave Robin and Batman a hard time, and eventually it took them a while to stop him. And uh, then they talk about here how if you get extreme cold, he becomes very brittle and lose all his properties. So that must be how they beat him. And then Breakaway Bandit, he was an arms dealer. Get it? Arms dealer. He breaks it. Get it? <laughs> and <laughs> silicon based, so that's why he could separate parts of his body without dying. And he, he fought the Flash, and Flash destroyed some of his weapons, so he decided then to sell the Flash as a weapon destroyer, a living weapons destroyer. And in the end, Flash, of course, beat him. So very cool. Absolutely love those entries. And with that, I think we're done, Rom. We're done. This iteration of Who's Who is no more. All I mean, the comic book, you know, the, the standalone Who's Who comic book is done at this point, basically. Yep. Yep. End of an era. So if I if I could sing, I'd sing the Jim Jim Morrison, you know, this is the um, But that's about all you're gonna get out of me. So Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> Rob, once again, why don't you tell folks where they can find some of these images from this issue? Over on our website, which is fireandwaterpodcast.com. Be keeping you awake. I'm terribly sorry. Are you really? I don't think you are. So, oh snap! Um, you can find this bastard named Rob over at AquamanShrine.net. You can find him on Facebook and Twitter under the same handle. You can also find him under Pod Dylan, the Film and Water Podcast, Treasury Comics. Ah, my new Twitter oh. feed, Treasury Comics. That's right. Did you really? You needed another Twitter feed. I did. I needed, are- to t- I needed to talk about the Treasury Comics. 
You have a website for that. I, that's different. Yeah? I'm engaging with social media. Come on. I think you just need to make like a Rob Kelly Twitter feed, and then you can just put it all on there. No, I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> all right. Anyway, uh, you can find me at Firestorm Fan on Facebook and Twitter. You can also find me hanging around the Fire and Water Podcast webpage and uh, generally making a nuisance of myself. So, anything else I'm forgetting? No, I think we're done. We're moving on to the the the. What what are we moving on to next? Well, the annuals next. In fact, if you it's really late, folks. <laughs> it's very late at night. If you uh, if you want to know what we're covering next month, folks, again head over to fireandwaterpodcast.com. Go to the Who's Who entry. Look for Who's Who Update eighty eight issue four. The gallery post. Go past the images, and you will see a listing of all the nineteen eighty nine annuals that we're going to start covering for Who's Who eighty nine. And uh, it's going to be great. It's going to be interesting. This will be a very different experience for us because we don't have an issue per se. We're just pulling out pages from the annual comics, which will be kind of fun. And it'll be different. And um, by the way, if you, the best place really to leave comments uh, is to go to the post with the MP3 file for this show, you know, again, on the Fire and Water Podcast website, because that's where you're going to find most of the comments. In the past, you know, you, you get 62 comics, 59 uh, comments, 59 comments. It's really where the bulk of the discussion for these shows is going on. So please head over there and check that out. And I guess that's it. Say goodnight to these nice people, Rob. Good night, nice people. All right, folks. Until next time, who's next? Who's next? Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, 2D Man and Hour Man. Who are all these people, man? They're all part of the DC. Who's who? Ultra Boy and Booster Gold, Lightning Lass and Hippolyta, Phantom Stranger, Hedrick and Arisia and Woozy Winks. Hey, hey, hey. What? What about that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him. He's also part of the DC. Who's who? Oh man, we forgot Slipknot.